Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Grunstrom Affair. I'd like to introduce you to a very good friend of mine, Peter Curry. This man has a huge story to tell about being visited by aliens throughout his life, and not only that, has the physical proof to back this up. This man has had books written about him, he's been on documentaries and other podcasts. He is quite the celebrity. We go into his life and the unusual experiences he's had, and touch on conspiracy theories as well. What can I say about him? His life has just, without a shadow of a doubt, been extraordinary. Without further ado, let's get on with this show. Hi, um, <laughs> hi listeners, pleasure to be here Eric. Nah man, it's been a long time coming, I've been wanting to do this, I can honestly say since I got the idea of doing a podcast, and even more so that it's, it's just an incredible story, it's something that I feel that has to be shared, I know you've probably shared it a million times by now, but it is definitely, uh, I tell people about you all the time, and I tell you about how credible you are. I, I tell them even the stories that I think most people don't even like think about. Like they can look you up online, but there's things that you've told me personally because we've known each other for about seven or eight years. Yeah, you know, so we've got that history. We've got that. We've, we've spoken about this, but now to do it like this, I feel that it's gonna. It just it spreads a message message out to people. You know, that's what Definitely. I think this does. Definitely. But like, I think where we got to begin is from the beginning. Let's start off to where things blew out for you, and then we can work maybe backwards, yeah? All right. Um, my, my story, I know it sounds bizarre, but it's true, and um, it's my story, so I'm going to tell it the way I've said it over the years, and my story hasn't changed, and I think that's been a real strength of my case, isn't that it's been consistent. Um, my experience has started... Um, in 1971 in Lebanon, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, my, the experience that actually kicked off my interest, and I never, I didn't believe in UFOs growing up. I was, I'm Lebanese Christian, Maronite background. We don't discuss this at home. It's not a topic that we discuss as a family or, you know, even with friends and that. So, um, yeah, we migrated um, to back out to Australia in 1972. And um, I had an experience in 71, probably about six months before we um, migrated, flew out of Lebanon. But um, the main experience that triggered my interest and uh, really got me thinking was an experience I had in uh, 1988. Um, in f on the funny thing, it was actually Valentine's Day. Um, my uh, fiance at the time and I were sitting in the car and um, she was sitting in the passenger seat, I was in the driver's seat, and I had my back to the door. And as we're talking, it was about eight o'clock uh, at night, and as we're talking, I stuck my head out the window and I saw what to me looked like a ball, a white, red, like a white hot uh, ball that was um, the size of a grapefruit. And it was um, traveling from north to east in the sky, it was high up in the sky. And um, we both got out of the car 
and we were watching this thing and um, it got to the Southern Cross and it got to a point, um, the highest star, and it just stopped directly above it. And um, what, what happened next was like the most bizarre thing I've ever, ever seen. Any object um, in flight doing maneuvers like that, I just couldn't understand how it could do something like that. I don't think any of our planes could do that. Um, what it did, it stopped in one spot above a, a star in a triangular formation and then it achieved a beam of light so it would appear, it was a white, solid white beam of light, and it would appear like a dumbbell almost. So you'd see it from point A, shoot a beam of light, the object would appear at point B, and you could see it at two places at once, then it'd disappear from point A, and then it'd do this erratically. It was like back and forth in a triangular formation at a really, really fast pace. And the whole time, it'd be in one place, shoot a beam of light, appear at the other, disappear from point A, and it was just so erratic and uh, probably happened for about, I'd say a minute, minute and a half, which is a fairly long time when you stand there watching this. So we got, um, I got a bit of cardboard and I tunneled it, made it like a, rolled it up like a telescope and just sort of had a closer look just to, you know, keep every peripheral stuff out of the scene. And um, while I was doing that, my ex, my, well, my fiance at the time said to me, um, she was like, it looks like uh, a war with the stars. And uh, my response to her was, no, I think it's looking for something because I, I saw that beam of light maybe as a searchlight, but I didn't know at the time. But, uh, you know, after years of researching and now I realised that that's the way they can travel. They can travel on a beam of light, which um, it's a sort of a hyper jump rather than a continuous flight. And um, so we stood there and watched this for a couple of minutes and... I don't understand how no one else in Sydney could have seen that. It was, it was better than a lot of fireworks displays that I've seen, so it would have caught someone's attention. Um, it was late at night, though, or 8 o'clock at night, so I don't know. Um, I did try and find out if there was any newspaper reports in the local papers and that anybody reported anything. There wasn't anything there. But we were, we were just blown away by what we saw, and we knew it was something really strange and different, and um, I don't think... It, whatever it was, I don't think the propulsion system was manufactured on this planet. Um, and then, um, so we went home and actually that time we were discussing, she was going to Queensland, I was gonna catch up with her a week later. So that's what we were talking about. And um, went home that night, um, this is February 1988. And then six months um, later, um, uh, July, based July 98, 1988. Um, I had just moved back home. I was living home, back at home for about nine months um, after living on my own for about five years. And um, I was sitting down watching a TV program with my dad about 11 o'clock. And my brother, who was asleep in my bedroom, uh, walked out of the bedroom and uh, said to me, go and, go and watch TV in your room. I want to sleep out here. It didn't make much sense to me at the time, like he was already asleep in a bedroom. Um, I didn't question it because I liked my privacy anyway. So I got up and went into my room. Um, I closed the door behind me, went and sat on my bed. And um, I had a little color Toshiba color TV. Um, I reached over, I hit the button to switch it on. And as I put my hands behind my back, uh, behind my head, sorry, and I crossed my legs over and I went to lie back on the bed. And before my head could actually, my, before my head hit the pillow, I um, felt something grab me around my ankles and it felt to me like it could have been the um, index and the thumb 
um, area. Um, it was pretty, pretty tight. It clamped on pretty tight. And then instantly I felt pins and needles crawl up through my body, like up my legs, all up through my body. And it got to the top of my head and I had like static electricity going through my head. Um, I described it back then as ants crawling through my scalp, uh, but it was more like an electrical static um, going through. Um, I became paralyzed. I couldn't move. And I'm claustrophobic at the best of times. So for me to be restricted, not being able to move, it stresses me a bit. So my concentration at the time was like, you know, excuse my French, but like, shit, what, I can't move, something's going on, you know. Well, you can swear as much as you like on this podcast, <laughs> don't, don't stress about that. Cool. Um, so yeah, I'm, um, I'm just questioning more so than anything. I didn't believe, I didn't know about UFOs or aliens or abduction stuff. I had no clue about all that stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. So I'm lying there and I can't move and I'm stressed and then all of a sudden I look at the foot of the bed and I see this figure that's three to four foot in height. Just try and keep close to the mic, man. Yeah. Sorry, just move the mic close to your that's face. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I look at um, I look at the foot, I open, I'm stressing out and trying to figure out what was going on and why, why am I being paralyzed and what's this feeling and that. And then I look at the foot of the bed and there's this creature about three to four foot in height. Um, it was basically, the best description I can give you is a gorilla sitting at standing at the foot of your bed with a monk's robe like a hooded robe over um covering its body and it was bluey like a darkish bluish black in color it was shiny um when i say shiny i mean you know like leathery shine um it had a deep deep wrinkles for the forest it had a wide forehead deep wrinkles for a forehead um big wide nose uh big lips um deep round deep set eyes and i've got to say they looked terrific it looked bloody scary and um i was 23 years old at the time i had been doing martial arts and kickboxing and i could handle myself i wasn't scared of anything um but that really really concerned me because it was something i've never seen in my life but um as i'm looking at this one at the foot of the bed and I'm trying to process and thinking, okay, that's what caused the paralysis. That's what grabbed me. I look over, I, I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. The only thing I could move, my eyes were open. So I could my, move my eyes from left to right. And um, I look over to the right side and I could see two other figures that were exactly the same as the first one, the three to four foot in height, gorilla looking um, with robes on. And they looked really robust. And now that I've, done the research and you know been around for a while i know that they're their military arm of the um the, the group that does that work together and um they're very very robust they're very strong they look menacing um i think they could do damage if they really wanted to but um as i'm freaking out i'm stressing out and i'm thinking to myself my parents are gonna i tried to call out to my dad and my uh, brother and i couldn't my voice box wasn't working but my mind was so I'd, I'd say what I wanted to say in my head but it just wouldn't come out verbally and uh, that frustrated me even more but um, I was lying in bed thinking fuck my parents are going to come and find me in the morning in bed and I'm fucking paralyzed I'm in a wheelchair that's it I'm this is to me is like oh, okay you lived five years and ran amok and this is your payback and I thought I didn't think alien, I didn't think anything like that. I just thought, shit, I'm paralyzed. 
and I could be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. That's where my thinking was. And I'm um, still trying to call out to my mum and dad, uh, to my, sorry, my dad and my brother who were in the next room, but I just couldn't get a, anything to, no sound coming out. Um, so I'm lying there stressing, I'm sweating, I'm freaking out. And all of a sudden with the corner of my eye, I notice on the left side of the bed were two beings, um, very tall, completely different looking than the first uh, three that I saw. These guys were very slim, very tall, um, oval-shaped heads with a pointy chin, big, massive black eyes, like size of a cow's or a horse's eye, maybe a bit bigger. Um, they, um, one of them, the male had a surgical mask, but he had it under his chin. He wasn't actually wearing it over his mouth. And the, the one furthest from me was a female. She would have been around where my hip was. Um, she was female. I mean, I could see she had breasts. A um, little bit more feminine in the face, but very much alike. And uh, big eyes and everything. But she had the surgical mask over her mouth. It was actually covering her mouth. And our surgical mask, our, like if you have a surgical mask or even a dust mask, they're probably wide as your, your hand if you put your fingers together. It, it, it's to cover your nose and your mouth, basically. Yeah. With their ones, I think because their mouths are smaller, uh, what I saw with the... I'll describe their, what they look like in a second, but um, their surgical masks were like... You put two Kevin fingers... Yeah. You, put, <laughs> you put two fingers together, um, and that's how wide their surgical masks are. But the male wasn't wearing his, the female was. Um, their features, as I said, big black eyes, are not really a reach for a nose, but a protrusion for where the nose is and the nostrils. Um, the mouth is basically like you drew with a pencil, just two lines. You don't see protruding lips or I didn't even see teeth or anything. Um, I never seen them move their mouth when they were talking. It was more telepathical. It was more in my in my head but it, i wasn't hearing voices i wasn't going crazy this was a feeling this was a knowing i knew what they were saying when they were saying things to me now i was panicking for so long when i first first saw the first three and um i had i was sweating i was agitated and as soon as i saw the other two and i looked in the mail the mail that was closer to me i looked in his eyes and as soon as i looked in his eyes big black eyes it was like i fell in this dark void and i got the feeling that this being knew me more than i knew me he knew a lot about me it's as if yeah all i can say is he knew a lot more about me than i knew about myself and i felt that i really did like it was an old acquaintance or an old friend or someone that i could and i felt comfortable one second i was petrified and i was scared and i was questioning what was going on and as soon as I look in this being's eyes I become totally calm and this was like over a couple of seconds I just calmed right down um, the next thing I hear is relax calm down and this is the male that was closer to my head talking to me calm down relax we're not going to hurt you it'll be like the last time calm down relax and I'm thinking what fucking last time that's the only thing I could think of what, what do you mean last time um, I didn't have a memory of anything happening before. But um, as he's comforting me and telling me to calm down, and I did calm down, he grabs what I saw in his hand. Um, just imagine not using your thumb, using your fingers, your index finger, middle finger, and ring finger. And 
hold the pen and grab it with those three fingers. That's what he was holding. And it was a syringe type thing. And it had like an optic fiber flexible tube at the end of it with a little, little tiny light. And um, calm down, he's telling me to calm down, relax, we're not gonna harm you. And then I see him put this thing to the left top side of my head. Um, I didn't feel any pain, but I blacked out instantly, just knocked out. Um, I woke up what I thought was maybe 10, 15 minutes later. And because I had been paralyzed and been fighting this paralysis, I literally sprung out of bed. I just jumped out of bed, walked straight out to the TV room, tried to wake up my father, I shook him now. When I first went into my room, it was about 15 minutes into this movie my dad and I were watching. So I'm trying to wake up my dad and I couldn't wake him and I'm shaking him and shaking him for a minute or two. And um, I, w I got really scared. I thought my dad's had a heart attack or he's dead. Um, I go to wake up my brother to help me look after my dad and I couldn't wake up my brother. So I'm shaking my brother and I couldn't get anything, no, no response. So I slapped him as hard as I could three times across the face and he woke up and the first thing he said when he woke up was, and he said it in Arabic and Lebanese, he said, I feel like I've been switched off, which to me at the time didn't register. But after years of research, that's exactly what happens to people around someone that's been abducted. They do switch you off. You could be lying in bed with your partner. They don't know anything that's going on because they are switched off. And that's where a lot of couples find it hard to to believe their partners because they're lying right next to you. They don't see it, they don't hear it, they don't feel it, but that's because they're being switched off. Um, anyway, I um, eventually, my brother and I woke up my dad and my dad was in a hate, like he was, he looked like he was just not with it at all, but he didn't make any comments. He was just really quiet. So I said to my, I asked my brother, I said, how long has it been since I went to my bedroom? And he said, oh, probably 10 minutes and that's what I thought 10 or 15 minutes and then I noticed on the TV back in that day if the TV station closed which they used to close they never ran 24 hours um, you'd get a blur on the TV or you'd get a round image um, that sort of just lets you know the station's closed or they do their I think it's to check their colouring and that they just do these things maintenance yeah, I, and stuff I, I remember what you're talking about they, I think they stopped doing that in the early 90s yeah yeah but station used to shut and it'd be just a blur on tv yeah it was like certain time of the night they would just shut down. yeah late at night so this is 11 11 15 when i walked into my room after sitting down to watch this movie so between two two and a half hours went me, me i got no time i can't explain that missing time but um i went and grabbed a glass of water and i said to my brother i go you know what Something just happened to me. I'm going to go and put this glass of water next to my bedside table. And if it's actually there in the morning, then I know this isn't a dream. So I get up in the morning. The glass of water, of course, is there. I go to have a shower. As I'm drying off, um, I notice on my right shin, there was, uh, it's, it was burning. Every time I ran the towel over it, I could feel it burning. And when I had a look, it was a... Um, like what doctors who have seen the mark have called a punch biopsy, very similar to a punch biopsy, where you can take a sample. Um, it's a pen that has a scalpel on the end of it. You push down. It's, it's almost exactly like a pen it works. And then you scoop, you'd, you'd sort of turn it around and then scoop out, and it gets bone, skin, hair, everything you basically need for a, for a biological sample is there. And um, 
So as I'm drying off, it's burning me. I have a look and I see this hole in my leg and it was red raw. So I took note and I thought, okay, that must be from, had to, had, had to be from yesterday, from the experience last night. Um, six hours later, I went to pick up my uh, fiance at the time from work. And um, as soon as she got in the car, she said to me, oh my God, what's wrong? Something's wrong. You've had a fight with someone or something's gone wrong. And I said, no, no, I've had an experience. I need to talk to someone. I may as well tell you. So as I'm telling her, I'm going through the story, telling her, and I said, yeah, and he inserted something in my head. And as I touched it, I had a look and there was blood, dry blood um, on my finger and under my fingernail. So she had a closer look and she said to me, her words exactly were, oh my God, you've got a donut hole in your head and it's full of blood in the middle. You need to go and see a doctor. So I said, oh, and also there's this mark on my leg and I lifted my jean leg up to show her and it was actually healed. Like it's a scar, you can see it, it's round, it's deep. You put your finger in there, half your finger will go through the... The, uh, the hole but um, it was completely healed it wasn't red draw anymore yeah. so it wasn't red draw and um, that blew me away a bit I thought how could something heal so quickly when it was red draw and, and itchy and sore but anyway um, I dropped her off at home that evening and I went straight up to my family doctor and I sat there and I've been she's been my doctor for 10 years and um, I said look doctor something happened to me I need to talk to you and as I explained it to her she actually started laughing hysterically. And she was like, oh, you need to see a psychologist or psychiatrist or something. And I said, you know what? You shouldn't be laughing about it. Yeah. You know, refer me to a psychologist or whoever. But it's not nice to be laughing. And people in the waiting room are hearing you laughing. Yeah, and especially gonna... when you claim you've had something happen to you. Like, I mean, there's a physical... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she's been my doctor for 10 years. And she knew very well that I don't make up stories like that. Yeah. She knew me she, she knew me really well. We were close. She was close with my uh, partner at the time. The well, it was. And to, to say that I never went back and saw her again after that. I lost all confidence in her. And um, so I did attempt to go to a doctor and get checked and documented and um so that was that was uh, february um sorry that happened in july and then um i sort of um went on a search for answers i wanted to, i wanted to find out the truth who doesn't anyone that's had an experience like this would want to find out what's going on so i contacted a number of psychologists and and psychologists and um even hypnotherapists just trying to communicate with people who might have heard about this stuff as soon as i'd say to someone look i think there was a presence in my room i did see something they'd hang up or they'd say no we're not we don't do this sort of stuff we don't deal with that i spoke to a guy in um it was a doctor i believe in queensland and he actually said to me he goes look what you're telling me i've been hearing a lot from people about and it seems to be to be ufo and alien connected he goes just ask there's a couple of groups in sydney just touch base with some of them and see what what they have to say so in um, 1990, I believe it was about 1993, early 1993, uh, contacted a group. They were just forming the group. They hadn't even named it. And they had a meeting on the following Sunday. They invited me to go to it. And um, it was at the Surrey Hills uh, Community Center. I went there and uh, they were naming the group. So it was a competition, whoever could name the group. And I had two female friends who were there with me. And uh, we, we actually won the competition for naming the group. And we named it UFO Research New South Wales. And, um, 
I believe I got give, I won three books and a six months membership or something. Um, but that was that was my introduction to ufology. That's that's the first time I linked my story, my experience to UFOs or aliens. I had no clue about that stuff. So beforehand, it was just, you had an experience. I had an experience, so I didn't know where to, where to pigeonhole it. I had no like, content. Did anybody say, could it, what's the, uh, is it, is it, uh, the experience when, well, when you get pinned down in your sleep, like you think- you Oh, like sleep a, paralysis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot, lot of people say- say it was that? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, 100%. There's a but lot I mean, of people who say sleep paralysis, but- explain but, the- Explain the marks, explain the hole in my head, the mark on my... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, sleep paralysis is an excuse easily thrown out there and um, it's used by sceptics and debunkers just to whitewash everything. And what I like to see for sceptics is to take on a case, research the case, and usually what you find, if they can't destroy the case, they'll try and destroy the credibility of the witness, which is completely wrong. But... um, what, what, what this did for me was basically opened me up to a whole new way of thinking now. I'm involved in a UFO group that are listening to people who are telling them stories like mine. Yeah. But what I found was within that, that UFO group, there were people who were harsher than the skeptics were, where they were all about lights in the sky something landing and you know land trace cases they were trying to get like that sort of physical stuff to them the abduction stuff was a whole can of worms really didn't give it much credibility they thought it was all crap people making up stuff and i had a bit of a hard time dealing with look i seen a person who's had an experience hand over a sample of a top they were wearing that was tainted with an orange stain that they attributed it to the experience and I seen one of the researchers that I work with, investigator, grab that T-shirt and throw it in the bin and go, ah, oh, this is rubbish. And I'm like, that's evidence. Yeah. You can't do that. So I lost a lot of respect. But I mean, like, look, um, I know, like, you got, like, sleep paralysis for some people. Yeah. I'm not, like, that's obviously people without, like, you know, when you have evidence that you're bringing forward, you say, get it tested or, in your case, it physically marks on you. But then, the, you know, you've also got like people who say take like LSD or DMT. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've had a lot of people ask yeah, me. They yeah, said, "Oh, I was the, I took these drugs and I saw an alien sitting in a tree once, and it was like smiling at me, and it was this and that." Yeah, but they also came to see dragons and other. Yeah, bullshit yeah, yeah, like that yeah. Too. And there's a guy in Queensland. Um, I shouldn't name him, but he's written a couple of books. Um, one of them is called. This will probably. I really have to say the name, but the book's called Abduction to the Ninth Planet. It's by Michel Desmarquet, and he openly says that he has experimented with mushrooms, yeah. magic mushrooms. Um, look, I've... There are a lot of people that have had, like, weird experiences on DMT. I'm not saying that you... Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. You, know, you had your fiancé and everything, and you have the physical marks on you. But, I mean, when you look at it and, like, say, I'm, I know you personally. Yeah. And that's one thing that sort of really puts this, like, I... When you first told me this, I was blown away, like absolutely blown away. And now that when I, now that I'm a little bit like, I've educated myself in the terms of like in the in in certain drugs, like I've read about it. Yeah. And when I hear like your experience, it's like you can easily slot it into the that you can slot it very easily. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, but you have evidence there's the evidence look i'll tell you right now if i did not have the evidence even 
with the 88 case with the mark on my head and the mark on my shin I wouldn't have gone I would have kept it quiet and I would have done a lot more research or maybe tried to have more experiences to 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 get it in content but mate I know I've had dreams I've had I've hallucinated once where I saw colors coming at me and I was pretty tired at the time too, and maybe that had a part of it. Oh, I've hallucinated too, and I wasn't even on drugs. Mate, I, I wasn't I saw on anything. Figure, I was just tired. In the distance once. Yeah, I just saw yeah. all these shapes and colours just flying past me at a million miles an hour. So yeah, it can happen, but I know what happened to me was as real as me getting up every morning, getting ready to go to work, getting in my car. You don't forget doing things like that. No. And this is, I know what happened to me was real. I would not be pursuing it if it was a dream or if it was, you know, hallucination. Or a crazy just, night out. Oh, mate, crazy night. You just move on from that. You don't pursue it as a life. I've been doing this for over 30 years now. And that's what actually triggered this thing. I had an experience when I was younger, which I'll come down to, come back to. But that didn't even have an impact on my life to even make me believe in UFOs or aliens exist, even though I saw something, but I just sort of put it on the back burner and just never thought about it. But um, once once I got my foot in the door with the UFO groups and I realized there's a, there's a you know, like you pigeonhole everything, you've got to give everything a label. And I realized that, okay, there's a term called abductions, you know, alien abductions of humans and that. So that's where it fitted in. And I thought, okay, I can work with that now. I've got something to, to look at and work on. So what really, really triggered me to go on this search was I was driving my, a truck once doing a delivery. And it was over, I think it was like the Borkham Hills district or anything. I was in a car park. And I heard an interview with uh, Brian Wiltshire, who was, I believe at the time was maybe 2UE, and um, Whitley Streber. And I didn't know who Whitley Strieber was, but I'm driving and I'm hearing this, I had to pull up in the car park and this guy was telling my story. This guy was telling my story. He was actually talking about, he was in a cabin um, in America and these beings started appearing in the cabin. He was shooting at them with a shotgun and they disappear. Mine wasn't that extreme. But if I had to give a description to an artist to draw what I saw, I couldn't have done a better job than what he did for that movie communion. I'm sure they had a lot of artistic people working on it, but the image of the short gorilla looking guys with the hoods, he got that, he nailed it a hundred percent. Like I, I, when I look at those images, I'm looking at the things I was looking at. It's like this very, very, very well done. It's like they had the real thing and they copied it, you know, and even the taller ones, same thing. Um, so I sat down in the car park for 45 minutes and listened to this guy talk and I was like, this is my story. Yeah. So I went and bought the book, Communion. And that's another funny story. We, my, my ex and I would be driving through the city when I pick her up from work and we'd see bus shelters and there were signs, there was like big posters in the bus shelters and it was a black poster with white writing and it said, they're coming. Yeah. Two weeks later, same thing, black poster, white writing, they're here. A week later, it was a full-on picture of a head of an alien that I described with the big eyes, goldish color, oval-shaped head with a pointed chin. I didn't see it. My ex did. As I'm driving, two buses are at the, uh, at the bus stop. One bus takes off, 
and I see her face, her jaw hits the ground and she's like, oh my God. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, have a look what's, and I look at it and I see the part and I'm like, whoa, taken back. That's what I saw. That's the first time I saw an image of the alien, the gold, the big eyed ones yeah. that I saw. Never seen anything like it before. And I was like, what the fuck? So we realized it was a book. We went and bought the book. She read it before I did. She'd get on a train and read the book. As soon as she got to work, she'd ring me and she'd say, you fucking told your story to someone and they've written a book about it. Someone has heard your story because this is your story. And I'm like, maybe someone else has had the same experience. She goes, Peter, this is your story. Almost word for word, except this guy shoots at him and stuff like that. She goes, you didn't. Maybe it's that. I said, look, I haven't talked to anyone but you about this. And I hadn't at that stage. It was just, she's the first person I spoke to. So... I started to realize that there's a movement out there and there's UFO things and it's, you know, they're looking into this stuff. So was, was that somebody with a similar experience to you then? It was, it was actually Whitley Strieber who used to write horror films, um, yeah. horror books. And um, Whitley had an experience in one of his cabins where these things came after him. And, and then there was the book Communion was written and then the movie Communion. Yeah. Really interesting movie, interesting story. But that's where I thought shit i'm not the only one there are other people in this world experienced very similar and seen the same type of beings that i saw so over my experiences i've seen three different types of aliens i've seen the humanoid human as you and i are except with certain features that make them stand out yeah and i've seen the two that i've just described to you um they look so different even though two of them are working together they just don't look like they belong they don't belong it's not like they're the same race so you, you look at humans and you can see indians and you can see asians and you can see westerners and you can see middle yeah. eastern we look a bit different but we're still the same shape you know we've got we're humanoid looking these things have the humanoid shape but they're com- like i'm talking completely different like from other planets i don't know if they're manufactured you know biologically to assist with the scientists or what it's it's a whole so try to keep the mic as close to your face yeah man. Sorry, yeah no, so no. i don't know i don't know um i don't know why completely different looking beings are working together unless you know there's that's all speculation I guess, unless there's groups out yeah unless there's some out there that are different types but have the same cause but um needless to say i just i'm just curious how how did your like fiance at the time your ex is mm. How, how how was she coping with all this? You know what? She was, she, a, was she supportive of you? She was always she? my biggest supporter. She was always my biggest supporter. Always, always backed me. Did she ever doubt you at any point? Well, no, because she had that experience in 88 where we saw the, the thing the like the dumbbell yeah. that was moving erratically. She was with me. Yeah. And then when we moved into my... We moved into this house in 1990 and um, she actually saw... And a, a, a man, a ghost in our house. I went up the shops and she was in the kitchen and she heard noise and she said, oh, Peter's come back real quick, must have forgotten something. She turns around and she sees what she describes like an Abraham Lincoln guy with a beard, top hat, in a coat with a long, uh, the long tail yeah. and um, walked across the archway, looked at her and kept walking and walked in where, where this wall here would have been. It had a mirrored wall yeah. and it would have gone into this bedroom that was in this area here and when we had my son in 95 every he had sleep problems and that so i was in the building game at the time so i'd go and sleep in the spare room yeah. 
every time I slept in that spare room, I'd wake up with scratches on my legs. And I've got photos to show, I've got tattoos around my ankles and that, and specifically scratching on a UFO tattoo, right? Yeah. Like deep, deep scratches, long scratches. And I've got photos to, uh, to support that. But so there was something that she's experienced as well. So it wasn't like she was oblivious to it all. She had come across a few things. She had a sighting with me where she saw the object. She had a thing on her own when she was home by herself, petrified because she saw a man in the house and it was a ghost. And we used to hear a lot of heavy footsteps. Um, a lot of someone would touch or pull your shirt. You know, like I've had many, many things happen um, in the house since. And, and the house drew us to it. I had bought another house and put a deposit on it and everything. And two weeks later, I drove past this place here and pulled up in the driveway to chuck a U-turn. And um, I spoke to the owner. The house was just on sale and he was going to take it off the market. And um, the house called me. It like drew me to it. And then when my fiancé at the time came up, from out the front, she goes, that's the house I want. She didn't even walk in here. It was just we were drawn to it. Um, a lot has happened in this house, a lot of different types of activity. Um, I've had people sitting here and they've heard kids crying like a baby crying right in front of you we've seen two girls come out of my room through the through the closed door mind you um wearing like an old school uniform with an apron looking thing and the frilly neck so i'd say maybe 40s 50s that era um one about 12 years old one about 14 took about three steps out of the room looking directly at us and smiling there was myself and two nephews sitting here um, we've had a lot, a lot of stuff going. I could go on for hours about yeah. that. But the experience I just described to you um, was happened at my parents in Holston Park in 1988. And then in 1990, I got married and uh, Vivian and I moved into Barella, where we are now. Um, and in 1992, I was already involved in the UFO field. Um, not, not, not overly involved but just in touch with a you know certain group and you know and trying to understand and trying to buy every ufo book that i could and believe me i bought every ufo book i came I, across I've, i feel like i've witnessed this yeah well if you see my <laughs> office you'll know what i mean yeah. so <laughs> i'm I putting just, a photo of that up on the instagram so. yeah i just wanted to read everything i could on the topic mate it just really really like um, intrigued me and I was like if this is happening to me and it's happening to other people something big's going on it's you, we need to like I believe the silliest thing we, the, the dumbest thing we can do as scientists who, who, who are supposed to be researching and questioning not to look at this and question it I think it's a, a real detrimental thing on the scientific community isn't that what science is about? Question. Yeah. Test something, retest it, and if it validates itself and you can retest it, there's obviously something to it. I've, I've offered my case to skeptics, to, to anybody who wants to try and destroy it and discredit it or research it. No one's taken me up on the offer. I'm happy to you know, have them stand there, be a target, and let them take all the shots they can if they can discredit it. But... Um, it comes to, we come around to 1992 and um, in May, I believe it was May 1992, I got attacked at a job site by three blokes and um, I was nearly killed. So I got stabbed in the chest 
Um, I had a broken bottle rip my arm open. I got hit three times with a broken bottle. I got hit on the head three times with a shovel. Well, the, twice and the third time I blocked it and fractured my thumb. Um, it, it damaged, it, I had pretty bad head damage, you know, head injuries. And um, I felt really, really sick for a while. So this is uh, May, uh, March, April, May. I think it happened May. Um, anyway, July that year, um, seven o'clock in the morning, I'm taking my um, fiance to the station to go to work. Yeah. So I jump in the car. I'm feeling fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I jump in the car. We're driving to the station. The further I got away from home, the further we got from home, the sicker I got. Like I'd pull up and I'd vomit and it'd just be this yellow vile. It was just disgusting. I don't know where it was coming from. And I wasn't feeling ill at all. But the further I drove away from home, the more frequent I would have to stop and vomit. And I don't know where this liquid was coming from because you get rid of it and then you, you drive five, 10 meters and then you're letting another half a bucket load out. Where is it coming from? So the further I got, the sicker and more drained I felt. And then once I came back home, the closer I got to home, the healthier I felt and the better I felt and the less I vomited. So I've walked in the door, walked into my room. It was July, so I thought, just throw a quilt over you, go to bed. I had, I had uh, sloppy joe, um, I had track pants on and sloppy joe. I jumped in the bed, put the quilt over me, and um, within a couple of minutes, I felt like something jumped on the bed, as if, you know when someone sits on the bed, you get that indentation, you feel it? Yeah. It felt like a dog, maybe, a bit heavier than a cat, maybe a good-sized dog jumped on the bed. Yeah. We didn't have pets at the time. So it caught my attention straight away. And um, as I sat up to look and see what it was, I sit up and I see my astral body, my soul, whatever you want to call it, um, out of my body. It was in front of me and I was looking at this transparent image and I knew it was me. I knew that I'm looking at an image of me, a glassy image, transparent. But I could see a female that was straddling me right there. So I could see the female through it. And then all of a sudden my body became one again with my soul. And I think that's why I was sick. I think my soul and my body, were, physical body, were actually separated. And that's why I was feeling so sick. And then the closer I got to back home and the closer I got to my soul, I felt better. Yeah. Anyway, as soon as I became one, when I sat up, there's an image of me in front of me. And then I sit up. And then me and the image become one again. I um, looking. I seen this female. She's completely naked, like massively attractive. I mean, if you wished to make a, a perfect model for you, you would go with that one. She was just perfection. Yeah. The skin was flawless. Um, the breast. Where where she comes from? I will tell you right now. There is no gravity at work because her. It, the way I described it, look, I don't want it to sound, I don't want to demean it or make it sound sec real sexual or something because it wasn't. But if you if you got a football, for example, if you got a, a, a one of the rugby league balls and you cut it in half and you put it on each side as, as breasts, that's how they were jutting out. There was no dropping, no gravity. Just, I couldn't believe it when I was looking. I was thinking, wow, like, super fit i guess so great tits or she, well not only that like just the way they sat 
where you know you get a 20 year old now and there's gravity at work you can see it no seriously <laughs> no, I, get, I get what you mean well, I, get yeah, I just couldn't believe how perfect they were and yeah. they weren't like droopy or anything and um, anyway the face was absolutely gorgeous um, she had a longer nose look I, I describe her similar to the singer Cher Cher yeah. has those protruding cheekbones she has a longer face a bit of a longer chin and that longer nose but it suits her and she's, she, she is attractive. Yeah. And this is what I saw in this female. Um, she was blonde, wispy blonde hair. Um, like it looked, to me, it looked more like a really, really thin um, fishing line. Yeah. Like it was transparent almost. And it was blowing. It was that light that it, was, it looked like there was a fan hitting her and her hair was blowing in the wind. Um, beautiful eyes, except they were about two, maybe three times bigger than our eyes. Yeah. But it suited her. It looked really good. So everything was sort of like in the proportion. Everything was proportioned and and attractive, but you could definitely see that she wasn't fully human. Yeah. You know, from the eyes, the shape of the nose, uh, the pointed chin. The, the, I wouldn't say a pointed chin, but came very narrow. It was a narrow chin. Yeah, protruding cheekbones. Very very attractive, and she's straddling me and she's naked and i'm thinking what the fuck is going on you know i've never experienced anything like this before and all of a sudden i look on the corner of the bed and like imagine me on the bed there's a female straddling me and next to us which is to the corner of the bed on my right side was another female that was asian and she was sitting with her legs bent unto her so her knees are out in front and she's sitting, her butt is sitting on her like, calves, basically. Asian description or like? Asian, no, she was 100% Asian looking. Asian oh, female. Straight, everything, just Asian. The whole, her whole look was Asian. Yeah. Um, she had a page boy cut, which is like just straight across the forehead. Yeah. Um, black hair, very straight. Um, normal size eyes, except I didn't see any white in the eyes or my, I saw black. Yeah, it was like massive pupils, just black. Um, humanoid nose, humanoid features, everything. Yeah. Um, she had her hands on her knees as if you take a school photo when you're a little kid and they sat you and you put your hands on your knees. To me, it looked like she was observing, she was watching. Um, I don't know if she was overseeing what the other one was doing, make sure she's doing right or vice versa. The other one was educating her on how to interact. But as soon as my body, when I stood up and my body became one with my soul or astral body, whatever you want to call it, straight away the blonde female um, put both her hands behind my head, the back of my head, and pulled me towards her left breast. Mate, I pushed, I pushed away from her. Second time she pushed me, she used a bit more strength. I pushed away from her, and the third time she just buried my face in her breast. I couldn't breathe. Yeah. and I couldn't push away she was using like a lot a lot of strength so I couldn't move away from her I'm trying to push away from her I couldn't so my face is buried in her breast I took a little nip I wasn't I didn't bite people go oh what type of person you are you bit of my it wasn't like that it was more a survival thing for me it was like I can't fucking breathe anymore yeah you need to breathe I need to push away and I couldn't push away so I needed to breathe so I just took a little nip and I felt something shoot down the back of my throat yeah. And as soon as I felt it, it felt like I drank acid, hydrochloric acid or something. It just burnt the hell out of the back of my throat. Now, I look at her and she's startled. 
Mm. You could see she was like shocked. I could see it on her face. And that's when I noticed how big her eyes were because she was like, whoa. And um, she looks over at the um, Asian female and she's saying, something's gone wrong. He's done this wrong. It's not like the last time. And here I am again going, what fucking like, what's this last time? He's done this wrong. Something's gone wrong. It shouldn't have been like this. Anyway, I look at her and I look at her breast and there's no blood. There's no mark where I bit her. So I don't know if I was given something, like now we know there's Viagra and stuff like that that can, you know, or something, that can, I don't know. But this is something I don't talk much about, but in the whole content of the story and keeping it legit and honest, I'm gonna do it. Um, I've only mentioned it a couple of times in private talks, but this will probably be out there now. I had an erection for six hours and it was fucking painful. If you have an erection for a long time, you'll know what I mean. It was painful. And um, it, gets, it hurts after Oh, mate. And what happened basically, once she cupped, cupped me and I swallowed that thing, um, there was telepathic communication with her and the other female. There was telepathic communication with me. But it was like a million miles an hour. It was, it was as if I was sitting under a tree and there was 50 birds and they were all chirping at once. Yeah. And I'm thinking... How the fuck am I going to remember any of this? And I knew that I would, though. You know, maybe not all of it. I knew I'd remember the content, some of the content. Anyway, um, I start, I have this massive coughing fit, and I look down, and I'm coughing and coughing. I look up, and they're vanished, gone. So I get up, go to the kitchen, grab a bit of water, grab some lead bread, trying to wash this thing out, you know. And as soon as I drank the water, it was I, like I threw fuel on the fire and it just erupted. It, it was even worse. I started coughing. When I started coughing, I coughed for 20 minutes straight. Now, th over a three-day period, it lasted three days, I would cough. If I started coughing, it'd be 10, 20, 30 minutes of coughing, non-stop coughing. And mate, by the end of the day, my kidneys, my insides, my organs were so painful. So you try and cough for five minutes straight oh, no, and I've, see I've, what happens. I know the feeling. I've, I've had um, massive, uh, what's it called? Uh, it wasn't uh, asthma, um, uh, bronchitis. Bronchitis, yeah, that's it. When, you, when you're coughing ex excessively. Coughing I couldn't breathe. There was Mate, all my organs my were aching. Everything was aching. And I had no reason for, for that to happen. It was just the, the way I was coughing and continuously coughing. Yeah. And the bending down when you're coughing, that push puts pressure everywhere. So I was in a lot, a lot of pain and discomfort. Yeah. So anyway, I get up, I go to the kitchen, I get a bit of water, I get a bit of bread, trying to eat it, wash it down and that. Then I had the urge to go and pee in the bathroom. So this is where it gets interesting. I go there, I'm ready to pee. It's been interesting the whole time. Yeah, but this gets this gets a little for if me it's getting, anyway. If you get to a new level of interesting, it'll probably it'll have level attacks. It'll be level interesting and pain, <laughs> new level of pain, I'll tell you. But anyway, I walked into the bathroom and I had the urge to pee. And as any guy would know, um, when you go to the bathroom to pee, you get a bit of build-up um, before you pee. And that's when... I just felt the most excruciating pain. Um, it felt as if my penis had been slashed with razors and it was, it was just like cuts everywhere and it was just, it was so, so painful. Um, I had tears in my eyes actually, I cried. I'm not ashamed to say that. But um, 
I had to have a look and see what's causing all that. And what I noticed was there were two hairs. One was sort of like an S embedded into my penis. And um, the other one was like half a circle almost, sort of half wrapped around, but also embedded in. Um, So I decided, you know what? These shouldn't be there. I knew where they came from. I was 100% that they came from that female. So I thought, oh, I'd be smart to take them off and put them in a plastic bag and put a note on it and keep it as evidence. So as I tried to peel them off, it was the most excruciating pain I have ever, ever gone through. And I've been through some severe pain. This was on a different level. And um, I... I'd, I hope I don't experience pain like that again, but I had to take them off. I couldn't leave them there. And when I took them off, they actually left an indentation. It's as if you stick your fingernail in your skin, push push down on it, and you get that mark. That's what it was. I had a mark there, and it lasted probably about, I'd say, a week, uh, maybe 10 days, where it was like a scar almost on there. It cut into me, cut into my, my flesh. Um, so, yeah, I put them, took them off, put them in a plastic bag, sealed them wrote the date the, the time and you know noted that a female and, and an asian looking female whatever just quick note called my picked up the phone and called my um fiance, well my wife at the time and she was at work and um when she answered the phone i said hey how what are you doing said, who's this and i said it's your husband and she's like oh my god your voice sounds so different and i said yeah i know i've been coughing really really bad and i said look i started coughing as i was talking to her so i said look I'm not ready to talk about this, but something happened to me today. I need to speak to you. But when I'm ready to tell you, just connect the coughing fits with my story. She goes, all right. Took me three weeks. And I did feel a bit guilty thinking, how am I going to tell her this? You know, two two females, two females sitting at um, in your bed and like, what if she doesn't understand, you know? So anyway, three weeks later, I was sitting down and for three days, these coughing fits and pain and, you know, and she's asking me, well, what is it? Just tell me. And I said, oh, I'm not ready for it. Three weeks later, I think it was sometime in August that um, I worked up the courage and I said, look, I want to talk to you about what happened. So I started to explain it to her and she was like, why were you concerned to tell me? I said, well... It, it's I feel like I'm having an affair or I'm cheating you know like she goes but it's not your decision it's you didn't make the call it's not something that you asked for you you know you went and picked up a woman and bought it to your house and then she goes it's something out of your your control yeah. and that really put things in perspective for me in that she's so supportive I mean we're, we're separated now and we've been separated for three years and She's never, ever made a comment, a negative comment about my experiences since we've broken up. She knows it, it happened. She lived it. She experienced it. Um, so f- f- for me, basically, having her, having, having your partner that supports you, especially with this stuff, and they don't understand it, but they're supporting you, it's a massive, massive thing for me. Yeah. It's absolutely massive. So anyway, I spoke to her about it, and she said, I said to her, what would you do if, if um, they were human, but that wasn't in their control? It wasn't their idea, like they were abducted like me and this happened. And she said, well, it's out of your control as well. You're not choosing to do this. And um, that came back and hit home with me. I had an experience years later 
where I was taken in an object and I was taken to this building and it was a high, high building with white walls and really dark tinted um, windows that remind me of TV screens. And um, I was floated. What was this? This was in 2008. 2008. Yeah. I was floated through. The reason I'm bringing this up now is because I'm saying to her where she said to me, it's not, you didn't ask for this. It's out of your control. I'm saying, what if there's humans and I'm interacting with them, but they're not doing it on their own accord as well. Yeah. You know, it's just we've been brought together. Um, so yeah, here, here I am and I come down this building and I'm floating from the ceiling down and there's a female in her bed and she looked about 40 years old, Italian appearance. She had dark, um, shoulder length hair, black. And as I'm coming, I'm, I'm levitating down and as I'm coming down, I could see her, she could see me, she was petrified. She was completely petrified, like I could see the look on her face. And as I came down above her, I was probably a couple of inches above her, I seen her tear, I seen a tear. She was paralyzed, she couldn't move. So I see a tear run down her, the side of her face and I actually mouthed to her and I said, I am so, so sorry. And it, it really hurt, it really, really ate at me for a long time. Like it really hit me in the heart. Like. The last thing you want to do, me personally, is be with a woman who doesn't want to be with you. And to have that situation where this woman is crying because this woman's crying because she's got no control and something's happening. And I felt so sorry for her. Yeah. But the funny thing is about maybe eight to ten years later, I was reading a book and there's this author in America who's speaking to a witness and she describes exactly the same experience. A man coming down from her ceiling, floating down towards her and what freaked me out the most eric was she actually says he mouthed the words to me i am so so sorry and that's exactly what i said to her so i know 99 percent that that lady is the lady i had the experience with but other some people have said to me do you want to meet her would you meet her why don't you meet her and i'm like why like why would i put her through that what if she doesn't want... If she wants to meet me, she can probably find... Was she on the other side of the world? She's in America. She's in America. She's in America. And I, I, why should I go and destroy some lady's life? You know, walk up to some lady and say, do you remember the experience that was me? Or she might recognize me and go, you're the guy from that. Yeah. You know, I had another woman who well, came here with her husband to our house for a meeting. Yeah. And she said, in front of her husband, she said, I saw an image of Peter come through the window... And it was a small image of him. And as soon as he came through the window into the room, became a full image. And she was saying that maybe something sexual happened in front of her husband. And mate, her husband came in as a skeptic and then walked out, shook my hand and said, you know what? I'm not a 100% believer. He goes, but you've opened my mind and I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a new possibility. It's, well... But I mean, that woman in America, like, wouldn't, isn't that like a curiosity for you? Like, look, like, 100%. She remembers you, like... When I gave the talk in Melbourne, someone in the audience actually said to me, it might benefit you both to do that. And I said, you know, it might. And I've got the book and I know the author and I can probably make it happen. Yeah. But... I, I'm thinking, am I being selfish to do that? I don't think it's. I don't think that's been selfish. I think that's probably like somewhat closure as well. Yeah, but does she want that? That's something that you know. Well, when you reach out, you'll know. Why do you have to reach out? I've like, thought about yeah. it over the years, and all I can do is contact the author, see if he'll give the female my contact details yeah. and my version of the story. Yeah. And if it rings 
home with her and she but said, I mean even like a picture of you yeah just, yeah just oh, she'll a, find a picture she'll yeah, yeah, you know, like once she sees my things. case, she look at. Yeah, look, that's something I do, but to me, I didn't want to intrude on her life. And and okay, let's say it is us, the, the two of us. And she goes, yeah, it was. You're the one that came. And then what? Like it? Well, I think that just adds more it does. meat it, to the story. Of course, like because you're like uh, this is where, like you know me, like I'm I'm one of those like common sense, logical kind of guys. And when I hear you talk, I'm, I'm all like ears to you, man. Like yeah. I listen to you, and everything you say, you have the evidence to back up these like claims. But like at the end of the day, like unless it happens to me, obviously, look, like, I, if I'm I, only going by your story, Eric. If I was sitting here right now and listening to somebody talking exactly like I am now, and I hadn't had the experience, yeah. I'd go nut. I'd yeah. be like nut. Didn't but because happen. I know you, that's the difference. Yeah. And like, as I say, like this, you, you meeting this woman from America. Like, if you did it, like I'm not saying do it. Yeah. Like, Look, I think it would be beneficial to, to do so it. I think it, it would really be beneficial, and I think it. Especially because you, if you, had you been in America at that time, no. See, no. That, that's another like I hadn't know, been like, there. If that's she the goes, thing. that's him. Like remembering those like how did those I get details. there? Yeah. yeah, how did you get there? How yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Like obviously, I mean the levitation part. Like again, skeptics. So I'm looking at like how a skeptic would talk. Yeah, you know, yeah. oh, it's drugs, it's this, you know, uh, sleep paralysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. Blah, but blah, then blah, how blah. do you explain going to another part, like the other yeah. side of the world, and then some lady goes, "Yeah, that's the guy." That's the guy. Look, I as soon as I read the uh, the story, and and she says. He whispered to me, I am so, so sorry. Or he yeah. mouthed to me because he was inches away from me. And it, that, that was me. Like, unless it's happened to someone else. Yeah. I'm but thinking, I mean, like, the odds of that are. Oh, like the odds of that are, yeah. Million yeah. to one. Like, maybe 100 million to one. And you know what? You've, you've actually now, it's, someone said it to me a few months ago and I put it on the back burner. But I think now I'm going to contact the author in the next couple of weeks for sure. And I'm going to try and track this because you, you, you're right. It could a bit more credibility it, it's not just credibility it's meat to the story it's the yeah the thing that people want to know more about like, my thing is am i being selfish and not considering the impact it could have on her like what if it's too becomes too real a choice yeah you, i'll give her the, i'll give a, a choice whether she person. wants to talk to me or not i guess yeah yeah that's the biggest thing like yeah. i think you saying look this is me this is i've had similar if not the exact experience but mm. on the opposite side yeah then you're yeah the credibility okay and wouldn't it be interesting if she lived in a big white building too. that had you know tinted windows really dark tinted windows yeah. and that she can verify that look i'll i'll do it i'm i honestly like as i said before i need to start getting back into the field and Look, I, I sit back and I just, like, let things happen. You know, I don't try and push my case and I let it speak for itself. Yeah. But sometimes you've got to get out there and stoke the fires a little bit. Well, you do. Definitely, yeah. like, in your case. Because I remember you telling me a theory about yourself. Like, this is... This is when we were working together. So I, yeah. I, I want to just have, like, a little bit of, like, a brief thing. So me and Peter, this is how we met. We met working together. Um... We both do security. That's what we do. And I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say this because I'm standing in front of you, but yeah. Peter's the kind of guy he does the job of ten men. 
and I've said this a thousand times before. I've even said it to your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. I've told you when I thought you were going to have a heart attack. Yeah, once, yeah, yeah. True. Stop working. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I pulled you up on. Yeah, it. yeah. I remember that too. You know, highly professional kind of guy. And when he stood there and he told me all of this, you can imagine young me going, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Right. But because I know you, I've yeah. had your back. As I said to you before, we're like brothers in blood. That's yeah, what yeah, we are. Yeah. We've done yeah. the fires together. We've, yeah, yeah, exactly. We've, we've done, done yeah. the fights. We've been through it all. Yeah. You know, so it's that's the way I see you. And the theory you told me that sort of stuck in my head was that you said, they're not picking everybody. They're picking certain people for mm. a reason. Yeah. You don't know what that reason is. Yeah. But you all seem to have a very similar like kind of experience. Yeah. You know, and you be, these are people you've never met, people who've never heard like your, the full length of your story. And I yeah. mean, like doing this long platform right now, I know you're not giving away all the details because you need to keep things close to your heart too. Yeah, so well, somebody who comes to you who's got the credibility, and they tell you the same thing. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't blame you for not like telling every intricate detail. You know, because. I mean, firstly, who's going to remember? But there's going to be something you keep to yourself yeah. that another person out there mentions, is going to know. And, and when they mention it, you know they've been honest. That's and look, right. that's why we kept we for about ten, fifteen years. We kept the um, surgical mask yeah. that the female had it was wearing it, and the male wasn't. Yeah. We kept the surgical mask right out of it. We didn't want to even in the pictures and that you don't see it. Yeah. Uh, in my presentation, one you do because I've updated it and put. But the reason we did that was. We wanted to keep certain, and, and in any case, in any case, a good researcher will always keep things. Yeah, they like, keep a little bit to themselves. And then if someone comes out and mentions that stuff without cool. you showing, then you know that you know, there's something legit about that. Yeah, and I, and I understand that. So, like, I know, I just want to know, like, do you still think like that was a theory you had to me back then? But do you still think that's the case now? Like, there's something that ties you guys together. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And I think our DNA. We're just learning about we're just learning about DNA. Um, we're like babies, basically. We're pioneering DNA now, and even the guys that worked on my case and that were saying we're like learning to crawl, you know, yeah. in the DNA field. And there's so much more to go, and that's why they're excited about the DNA sample that we have from the hair. So let's talk a bit about that now. Like, so you gave. So, okay. so that's why we sort of just we, we kind of just dived off track for a yeah. second. There. Well, what it was when I. I saved the sample i put it in the bag i Sorry. spoke to my ex i spoke to my ex about it and um what it came down to was um in 1996 i had uh, a film cr uh, a, two producers female producers came over for a meeting and uh, bill chalker was sitting on the meeting and they wanted to do a documentary for channel nine and uh one of the female producers said you know what, Peter, if this is really happening to people, there's got to be some physical evidence. It's got to be like a sexual assault case where there's some hair or some sperm or, you know, there's something left behind. Yeah. And um, never, I've never talked about this. Like I knew Bill and I've talked about 88 experience and all that. I never mentioned the 92 stuff with the sample. So I said to them, do you want to, do you want to see evidence? I'll get you evidence. And I went and grabbed the hair sample, which was in the bag. And I showed it, and Bill, his ears pricked up, and he was like, why haven't you told me about this? Yeah. I said, mate, my 1988 case is a can of worms. This is a truck of worms, you know, like, I, it's too much. I said, I just, anyway, he kept it in his um, memory bank, and then um, about six years later, 
um, four four years later or something, he contacted me and said, look, I've got some biochemists that work for CSIRO. They're retired now, but they were at the time. Um, And he said, mate, they're interested in testing a sample. They want to test samples that are being given to by abductees and that people have experiences. Would you be willing to give the sample? I said, yeah, mate, not a problem. I had no hesitation. I just, I, with me, I don't push. I don't, I don't try and, you know, shove my, my evidence in people's faces. Yeah, I don't shove my evidence in people's faces. I don't go and try and push my case and try and push my DNA stuff. So, I kept it to myself. And when the offer came up, I said, "Yeah, mate, let's do it." Didn't even hesitate. So they came in and took the sample they went and tested it and they came back and they took hair sample from me hair sample from my ex um nothing matched the hair that they had yeah but what what actually got them interested was that uh, there were two pieces of hair i believe from looking at them there and then at the time one of them was darker than the other one was more like almost like a fishing line it was very frail and very yeah, see-through like the blonde the blonde one yeah. the other piece of hair to me looked like it came from the asian one because it was darker and it was a bit thicker yeah but the scientists who did the test seemed to think it was the one hair broken but that's my impression of what i saw that's what i'm calling yeah. it as i see it yeah. um so what they've done they um they tested the hair, which one of the hairs, luckily for me, had a root and the shaft. So when that hair came out, it actually had a root with it, which is really important. Yeah, because that's where all the DNA is. Yeah, actually. so what they did, they they found, when they did the first round of DNA, they found um, the root of the hair had rare Basque Gaelic, which is tall, blonde, Scandinavian-looking um, people. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> um, they, they have oh, yeah. um, they have Scandinavian. The, the root of the hair showed Scandinavian, blonde, blue eyes, tall, um, and then the shaft of the hair showed the rarest mitochondrial DNA, which is Asian DNA, but the rarest on this planet. There's like maybe two people that have similar but not the same. Yeah. Um, so that triggered their interest a bit. And then um, they found a CCR5 gene deletion, which means if you don't have that genes in your, in your body, you can't catch sexually transmitted diseases. So if you were gonna make females that are gonna sexually interact with humans, you're gonna make them so they can't catch sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. So this CCR5 gene deletion isn't in their system. So those females can't catch any diseases from us. And that's a big, big thing. Anyway, subsequently they did a uh, second round of um, nuclear, it was a nuclear DNA um, uh, procedure to test. And that's when they found, um, uh, with the nuclear, they, they found, that's when they found the CCR5 gene deletion. And um, it just opened up a whole thing where they found the connection with the Asian DNA that linked to a tribe in China called the Lahao tribe, Lahao. And they've made three trips to China and met with some people there. And they've actually met, Definitely. they've actually met with a female who says she's had a similar experience to me, where she was taken into a place where there was a guy, really interesting. And then there's a bloke there who's had an experience, an abduction experience as well. And he sat a, he sat a polygraph test and passed it. Um, 
So look, from from since the testing got done, it's given me a bit more credibility in that I can't fake DNA. I can't yeah, fake. I can't fake the hair sample. I'm sitting in your house. You don't yeah. have a lab. Here, well, how so do I make it? How do I yeah. produce a hair sample? Even that, the odds. Like the you know what it is to what impress these guys. In 1992, 93, actually, I had a panel of experts from America, from Australia, 12 of them sit down and grill me for four hours. They just questioned me and they took notes left, right and center. My story has not changed since then. And the, the information that I've given them has been so, so consistent all the way through. Yeah, it's been, it's been consistent all the way through. And... Um, We, we get to 2011, I think it was. Um, I get a call from a company doing a program and it was called My Mum Talks to Aliens. Now, it was about a researcher called Mary Rodwell. Um, she's never had a sighting. She's never had any contact with aliens or anything, but she's a researcher and she does hypnotherapy and works with a lot of people who... Uh, she's into the thing that a lot of the young that are born these days have alien blood in them or alien dna in them there's no proof to back it like i'd love to see dna evidence to back that you could you could easily test that well how, how what do you mean a lot of young I, they talk about indigo kids like all these young kids that are born now they're so much smarter and i i tell them yeah they're a lot smarter than kids like us born in 1964 for example like me because look at what they're exposed to now. Yeah, a little you, kid at two years old has got a mobile phone in his hand. He's got the yeah. internet. He's got the TV shows that are so educational. We were lucky to get a cartoon with a couple of birds chirping or something. You know yeah, what I mean? It's a big difference it, in technology. Massive, massive difference. And that has an impact on the kids, the yeah, young kids massive. and how... 100%. Like, even I said, I had to say this to my mum. My mum's 70 years old. And I said to her, like, you got to understand, kids these days that are in their 20s, realistically have been bombarded with that much more information than you did in the first 50 years of your life. Yeah, that's like, true. When you look at it like that's that. True. Like, that's true. In the first five years, they've been bombarded with yeah. more information than we have all our life. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You know, that's, that's a big thing. Like, it's it not is. just coming from books. It's TVs, the internet. Yeah, yeah, internet, uh, mobile phones, podcasts, access. You know. Mate, exactly. Educational, it's all yeah, out there. It's all you out know? there these days. Where what we had was a television, if your parents had a television at yeah, that and time. The library. And the library. And you know what the big thing for me was? The World Encyclopedia. My parents bought a whole thing, cost like three grand at the time yeah. in 79, 80. And you had to go through a book and yeah. read, you know, that, but, that was our internet back then. But even that's now obsolete. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it gets yeah. updated every year, I think. It gets updated every yeah. year, yeah. It's one of those things like the information age has made these kids smarter. It's smarter. Yeah, and that's yeah. what that's my argument is that these kids are smarter because of what they've been exposed to. Yeah. But it's not that hard to do some DNA testing and find out, you know? And I believe honestly, I believe our DNA is our library for our ancestry oh, yeah. yeah no it's, definitely there's so is. much history I, there. I did my ancestry um it's all about you know, dna yeah, and our dna has a lot a to do with yeah, yeah it's your history your history's in the, your dna the fact that they can tell you what the last 200 years of your family are yeah like that's how far back they went in my yeah, like, yeah, ancestry yeah. you know they Man, i had scientists tell me that if i give them the piece of the hair they'll destroy it but they can tell me what they ate they can tell they'd me what the aliens the eat. Hair. They'd destroy the whole hair. And I said, why would I want to do that? Like, really, do I care what they eat? 
Yeah. You know? I think it was more if interesting I had, is to know where they're from. Oh, that's what I want. I want to know where but they're from. But you did this DNA test in what year? Uh, the DNA test got done... 96 they asked me for it it was done in about 98 i believe yeah and dna test has come a long way since then it has a long way and that's why the scientists have kept a bit of dna and they're hoping that 20 years in the future they might be able to yeah i shouldn't say this but maybe clone (laughs) clone one of them maybe not so much clone but actually find out like because what it sounds like to me when you're saying it sounds like it's a very rare like genetic type it is it's a very very yeah. rare genetic like you type, have especially like, the Asian like, one like when you have like say like the little bit about genetics that I know for example like you have like Aboriginal Australians yeah. I think uh, there's something in their DNA that separates them yeah. from mainland like, or mainland from like say continental Asia and yeah. Europe and Africa yeah. um, then you have uh, like the Native Americans Again, they have a very slightly different sort yeah. of like genetic code, but I mean, it doesn't mean they're not what well, we are. It's just because they got separated yeah, long yeah. ago. Yeah, that's all it means. And to be like such a rare gene type, and then for that, the odds of that, you know, because I mean, I remember you also telling me like, I don't know, if this is giving away anything, but I remember like part of your story, you said that they had no belly button. Yeah, well, that's the blonde didn't have a belly yeah. button. Yeah, and when you told thing. me that, you go, yeah. like, genetic, like, clone. Yeah, clone. like, this Well, when, the, when, the, when I had this panel of experts sit there and question me, I actually said to them, I said, they're built for a reason. They're made for a reason. And they go, what do you mean? I said, they're built to breed. And they go, why do you say that? I said, because it was a sexual interaction. I don't talk about that, though. I've never, yeah. ever mentioned the sexual aspect of it. But I said... They're there to sexually interact with us. Just keep the, keep the mic close. Mate. They're, there, they're there to sexually interact with us. And um, and um, I, I said, the, I noticed that the blonde didn't have a belly button. And um, I said, I saw the Asian one did, but the blonde one actually at one stage touched her stomach, sort of rubbed it and then pointed up. And I was thinking, I'm seeding your child like your seed. And she actually said to me, the term seed you know you've implanted your seed and i'll be taking care of your seed and and i knew it was a child and look this is going out of left field now but she told me she that she would communicate with me and she told me that but there see to us we think communication should be done today or tomorrow or next week or next year but to them they live so much longer than we do that a year to them is like a minute to us. Yeah. So when when she says, you'll be hearing from me, you'll know. And I'm thinking maybe in a day or a week or two, 14 years later, 14 years later, I hear her, her voice clear as day saying to me, your daughter is beautiful. Right? And I knew it had nothing to do with Georgia, my daughter. It was her telling me about her child yeah. you know it was your daughter is beautiful and then not long after that i had an experience where i'm taken into this big almost like a hangar but it had um it had like table it was almost like a holiday 
setup. Yeah. Like someone trying to make it look, it's indoor, but they're trying to make it look like a holiday resort yeah. where they've got, they've got like an elevated platform with seating. They've got like chairs there, um, a sand pit maybe, or you know, like it's like a kid's play area more so. Yeah. And I go in there and there's this, I see this female, short hair, very short hair, um, sitting down, very, very attractive looking girl, very attractive, milky white skin, yeah. like the mum, and sitting at the table with her hands out like that. And I sat opposite, it was like I was on, on an automatic pilot, sat opposite and instantly I knew she wanted me to grab, reach over and hold her hands and I did. And as soon as I did that, the emotions that I felt, it was like 14 years of her saying to me, this is my story over the last 14 years, you know, and it just came rushing at me and it was just, it, it overwhelmed me actually, it upset me to be honest. Yeah. And um, I know for a fact that that was a child, you yeah. know, and I don't so, talk about this much. I've, I hardly ever actually mention this sort of stuff, even the sexual aspect and that. Yeah, but, but I mean, look, I'm when curious, people consider... Get, like, what, what, so what, you just, how did you get there, like... Oh, mate, all I know is I've you just had this experience where I'm walking through. Was it like almost like a, was it, did it feel like a dream state? No, nah, it didn't feel, it like, no, nah, it was more. You just sort of popped up. It like was, it was more, yeah, there, there was more to it to be like, I've had dreams and, you know, remember them and stuff like that. But this, this was. Because when you talked to me earlier about, when you said like you had that astral projection as well, mm. like obviously like, by the sounds of things and from what I understand, like the little, the, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm any expert on this at all, so forgive me, but they, there's a lot of talk about energies. Yeah. Was it, do you think that maybe, uh, obviously it's speculation, but is that, that your energy being taken somewhere and you're Look, I think, I, I, my theory, and it's just one theory, but I think that they interact with us. They do it on a physical level but they also mainly, most of it is done on an astral. So they use our soul. Yeah. They communicate more for our soul. That's why you, you can see someone walk through a wall. Yeah, because you know? like, we're all made out of star stuff. Yeah, like well, that's our soul. That's can, the biggest like, line I've ever can, heard. Uh, we're all made out of star stuff. Our so. soul can experience things that your body can, yeah. but your soul can do things. Your soul can't get hurt, so to speak. Like, yeah. if you fall, you're not going to cut yourself with your soul. If it, that's why they do like with remote viewing in that. They talk that you can't get hurt because you're not Sorry, really, fi you're not physically there. It's just your astral body. Yeah. But I really do think that a lot of the abduction stuff, it happens through the astral realm. Yeah. You know, they, they have more control over our soul or astral body than they do our physical body. And now with our physical body, we can get dangerous. Like we can, you can throw punches, you can, if they lose control, you can get violent, you know? And um, look at us when we look, go deal with animals and that. We're always very cautious about them waking up and striking back and, yeah. you know, lashing out and that. And it's the same thing with them. They deal see the, us as very, very physically strong compared to them. You deal with a lion, it's going to fuck you up. That's, for that's sure. it. That's it, you know? But... Over, over the years, um, I've, I've come to understand that there's a lot of people out there who want you to jump through rings, they want you to do 
triple somersaults and hoops and you know they want you to perform they want you to put everything to prove your case but they're not willing to look at the evidence and say there's so many things that are happening here you can't fake this and why would you you know like i've got um i've got a few I've, like how can i say this i've got issues with with people who won't even read the story yeah but they want to comment on it and discredit it but they they won't even give it the time of day to read it okay if i want to if i want to debate something i want to know what i'm talking about so i will do my research I'm not going to argue with you about a topic that I know nothing about just because I want to have an argument. And they're the people that I have no time for, the ones who just sort of, you throw everything out, with the, you throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Yeah, everything yeah. goes out, nothing. Well, we have names for those people. We call them cunts. Well, yeah. I, I got a lot of time for people who, <laughs> honestly, I got a lot, a lot of time for people who ask me questions at, at, at yeah, I know that they'll research it. I've had yeah. guys who said to me, oh, no, it didn't happen. I said, well, I'll give you my house if you can prove it didn't. They haven't followed through on it. And I'll give yeah. them my house if they can discredit me, mate. Yeah. Let them say the DNA was fake. Let them say this. But anyway, jump into 2011. Um, I received a call from a, produce, a production company and they said, oh, look, we're doing a UFO story and that. It's going to be the running title, which will be changed later. It's called My Mum Talks to Aliens. And I thought it was a silly title. Then when I realized it was involved in, I thought, no, nah, I don't want to be involved because I'm not, that's that lady I was telling you about. Yeah. I'm not into her research. I think there should be, if you're going to, look, Carl Sagan once said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yeah. And I think I've got that. Well, I think you definitely do too. Yeah, like, where, where, I mean, how many people have hair samples? Well, since my case, we've had three people come up with hair samples. Oh, this has been more we're hoping there'd be hundreds we're yeah. hoping that everyone who's had an abduction can grab a bloody hair sample we can test and it yeah. can prove something but out of the three samples what we got was one of them dropped it on the ground left it and then came back later and picked it up oh. it tested out to be his daughter's hair oh. another one uh dropped it uh, left it on the he found it on his penis left it on the wash basin and thought that his wife was playing a trick on him. So he waited till his wife came home. By the time he asked her, she had gone in and cleaned the thing oh, and thrown it. And she says, no, why would I do that to you? Why would I put a hair that, like, think about yeah. it. So that was one hair that might've had something but was thrown. And then we had another one. Um, he actually dropped the hair on the ground, picked it up and reckons he might've picked the wrong hair up and it was tested as his wife's hair. Yeah. So there's one guy, he's a movie producer um his name is christian fedora he's actually um offered to make a cup a movie a couple of times now and um he did the it's called kudamara uh, kudamandra zombies i think if film he's made australian film um he was one of the first guys he came to work i was working at canada bay club one night and he came over and he actually said he had a f experience like mine with a blonde female an asian looking female a hair sample was involved hair sample was tested it just didn't come it didn't pan out yeah. you know but look i'd like to see 
a thousand samples. You know, I don't want to be the one saying, "Oh, I'm the only one with a sample." Wow. Well, yeah, no, no, I want a thousand you, more samples. You, you prevent you, you mate. Like, I want it to back me. Yeah, but I want knowledge. other people to have samples that test yeah. similar or even more extreme because it just supports what I'm about. You know. Yeah. Anyway. These producers called. I said, no, I'm not interested. I won't do it. And over the next two weeks, they called me like five times. And the last time the producer called, he said, look, Peter, this show's going nowhere. It's a flop. Yeah. He goes, if you really believe in this field, you want to give it credibility, you should jump on board and do it. And I thought to myself, you know what? The people will notice that she's a bit, you know, like she's not with her the full evidence in that. Um, a lot of the stuff she takes on board is through hypnotherapy and that. And she took on a, she had a debate with a professor at uh, Canberra in a university yeah. and he had it stacked with all his students. So every time she said something, the whole audience would laugh and he was tearing her to shreds. Yeah. But what disappointed me the most, they were advertising the show as Mary Rodwell taking her son, Chris, who's a scientist, is a vet. Her family broke up over her researching UFOs, right? So she wanted to show her kid, her son, her evidence, why she does this. So she took him around the country for two weeks and every bit of evidence showed him fell apart. Yeah. There was no, it wasn't solid. So she went to the Canberra, took on this guy in a debate and, the, and her son was sitting up in the, up in the top uh, row biting his fingernails like he was so nervous for his mum he was so upset because he thought the guy was being disrespectful to his mum and that but if you're got me listed as the the ace up her sleeve they were saying just wait till you hear peter curry's story yeah. he's the uh, the Sorry, bro. yeah keep close, man. he's the ace up, <laughs> he's he's the ace up um uh, mary rodwell's sleeve you're very mediterranean when you talk yeah you're moving your hands yeah, around a lot do, hitting the do. mic yeah <laughs> anyway um <laughs> They, um, Mary, um, they came over to my house on a Saturday and um, they walked in, you know, we did the interview. Um, they heard my story and all that. And then Sunday, I'm on my way to work and I'm five minutes away from work and the phone rings and it's her son, Chris. And Chris says to me, um, oh, Peter, your story was so interesting. It was intriguing and it was so detailed. Would you be willing to do a light? Yeah. Would you be willing to do a lie detector test? And I'm like, yeah, mate, hundred. Didn't even. Oh. It's all right, man. Let's keep the. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, he's guys. Like, we're, we're, this is, we're doing this in Peter's home, so he's <laughs> moving around a lot, hitting the mic. Keep sorry, guys. <laughs> anyway, he um. Just tuck it between your legs. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. That's it. Anyway, he uh, we should have it hanging off the ceiling. He um he says he asked me the question. Would you would you be willing to sit a lie detector test? So without even thinking, without even telling them, I'll call you back, I just went, yeah, fucking oath I will. I've been wanting to do one for 20 years. And he goes, oh, look, sorry, um, I should have told you we're filming this. So can I ask you the question and don't swear when you answer? <laughs> I went, yeah, sure. So I went, friggin', friggin' oath, mate, I'll do it. Yeah, I've so, really seen this. Yeah, seen and then this. when it goes to air, I didn't see his reaction, but when it goes to air, he's like, oh, right. This guy doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't think about it. doesn't take a breath. He's just like, yep, I'll do it because he must be confident. Now, his mum had a client who was an ex-SAS Navy SEALs guy or something, and his name was Greg, and he did the lie detector test but failed it. So he, her son actually says before the test was done, he goes, 
that guy, Greg, he's going to pass. I have no doubt he'll pass. Never made that comment about me. And then the guy fails. Yeah. And I had, we had the guy sitting here, um, Gavin, from the Australian polygraph thing. Yeah. And he says, oh, I guess you guys want to know how Peter went. And he says, Peter passed the flying colours. He goes, he's telling the truth. But what annoyed me when we did that, um, they, he called me on the Sunday and asked me to do it. They came in on the Wednesday. So we had a massive debate here. Bill Chalker and other researcher, Frank Wilkes, yeah. um, were arguing the point that um, polygraph isn't used in a court of law for a reason. Yeah. It doesn't prove anything. But her son was the one who put it to me. And I think he put it to me. It's like coppers, they do it. We want you to take a lie detector test. Yeah. Oh, no, then you're, ta- you're casting um, doubt yeah, over yeah, the person. Yeah, the story, Credibility yeah. in that. So they had a debate for about an hour. And I reckon it would have made great television, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> yeah, it ended up being on the cutting floor anyway. But what, what I basically did, I said, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Two of my good friends, advisors, said to me, don't do it. My missus says, don't do it. So they had the guy here from the polygraph company. It was $2,000. They flew out the whole crew, the meet. You know what I mean? Yeah, to film. yeah cost money. So I walked outside to talk to my um, missus at the time. And, and she goes, don't do it, Peter. Don't do it. If the Bill and, and Frank advise you not to do it, don't do it. So the guy comes out from the polygraph um, a company and says to me, Peter, don't do it. He goes, don't feel bad because this is television. It's not their money, mate. They're not losing their own money. This is funding that they get. Yeah. Don't worry about it, mate. It's $2,000. That's nothing in the movie industry. Yeah, it's nothing. And he goes, but out of curiosity, I'm just really interested. Tell me what happened to you. So I spoke to him, told him. And he goes, oh, it's bloody interesting, you know. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do the test. Because he didn't push me to do it. He didn't force me to do it or yeah. try and entice me to do it. He just heard my story and that's it. Yeah. So I came in, mate. I sat in the chair you're in. I got strapped up. And I'm claustrophobic at the best of time. So to be strapped up and restricted in moving was going to give me a bit of anxiety. And that doesn't well, help. I can tell. Yeah, and that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't help. In a, um, it doesn't help yeah. you much when you're doing a polygraph to be anxious, you know. But anyway, mate, I sat there. He asked me questions about my 88 experience. Not one question about my 90, 1992 experience with the two females and the DNA evidence. Yeah. So when we finished, I actually said to him, oh, hang on a minute, aren't you gonna ask me questions about my 1992 experience? And he actually says, Peter, if you're telling the truth about 88 experience at your parents' house, you're telling the truth here. And his questioning was, did you have an experience at your parents' house in 1988? I said, yes, I did. Um, Was there two females, what you would consider alien females? Uh, Sorry, was there two types of alien um, aliens at your parents' home? Yes, there was. Was there five aliens in total? Yes, there was. So my questions was whatever he said, I'd reply. But I wanted him to say, in 1992, did you have two females, alien females, appear in your room? You had the, ki- the, the swallowed something, then they disappeared. Are you telling the truth? That's what I wanted the questions asked yeah, at. Yeah, That's yeah. my thing. I, even still now, I want to get it done. But I don't because I've lost all faith in the polygraph thing. Yeah, that now, the polygraph thing, like, I know, like, it's true. They don't use it in a court of law yeah. because well, of mate, the Well, mate, look, the guy asked me to do it. The, the guy, Chris, asked me to do it. And the only reason I did it, because I thought it's 100% right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, no, it's not. So when you, when, it's like me asking you, uh, Eric, um, 
is that computer yours? I go, yeah, mate, it's got my emblem on there. And I'll be like, no, mate, that doesn't look like yours. Uh, I'll, I'll move it. What he did was basically move the goalpost. He made the rules to the game. Yeah. He started the game. He made the rules to the game. And then when it suited him, he moved the goalposts. Yeah. So during the game, it's like, oh, this is looking too good for Peter. We'll just move the goalpost and he won't be scoring anything. So at the end of it, when the guy said, Peter, fast flying cars, I actually said, and Chris was sitting there, I said, I would really like to know Chris's opinion. Like, how do you feel now? And he, Chris says, I believe Peter believes it. And that really pissed me off. Yeah, you asked me to do the test. Why did you ask me to do the test if you didn't think it was a hundred percent? I believe that he believes it. Yeah, I believe that Peter believes it, which means yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily true, but Peter believes it, and that's why he passed the polygraph. That yeah. annoyed me. So you know, I, I get really, I don't have time for people like that, but um, it didn't impact my life in any way, to be honest with you. That having that polygraph You've been, on, been on heaps of stuff. Yeah, but you know, you think... Like one bad experience as opposed to how many good experiences have you had this... Yeah. Talking about the story, I mean... Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I've had a a couple now of movie offers uh, being put to me and one of them filmed here for like two, three months, come every day, every day and filmed and he's the only one that has interviews with my wife and two kids. No one, no one. That's strictly, I've got a copy of those interviews. Yeah. Um, he's the only one in the world that has an exclusive with my, and I haven't heard them, so I don't even know what they've said. And that would be interesting to, to bloody, you know, yeah. it, just to get their reaction to what they think. I haven't even listened to it. Maybe I should, but that's their opinion and I don't want to influence it in any way, shape or form. But it'll be good just to inter- see what my kids think of my story, you know? Yeah. And I haven't even gone there to look at that. That's how... I try and keep them out of the picture. I don't yeah. I don't want them... Well, is it, as much as like you are a family, it is your story, essentially. Like, And what you're doing when you're going out advocating and st- talking about being in books, it is daunting. Like, even... Like, for me, to talk about my family on, on a podcast, like, unless yeah. it's specifically about my family... It's like, well, they, I'm not gonna bring them up, you know. Yeah. Because it didn't happen. Like, whatever's happened to me, it hasn't happened to them. It's only through correlation that they're yeah. there. Like, yeah. you know, they, they might see the negative side of the stuff Look, happening to me. What I know, what I've learned over the years, anybody who's having these experiences, it doesn't happen just to you. It's not an accident. It doesn't happen to. You. It happens generations through the family. Like, he's mm-hmm. my mum, talking that. This is something we haven't come across, I don't think, have we? We haven't discussed what happened. You know, you actually wanted to bring... We're, yeah, we're, we're going to go, go back, back to, that, to that, yeah. But this is actually a good yeah. segue into that. So, yeah, yeah. Go, all right. Let's talk about, like, the in, intergenerational... In 1971, um, I was living in Lebanon at the time, and um, it was probably about six months uh, before we came out, uh, migrated out to Australia. My dad had been out here for about 10 years before us. And um, so... It was school holidays. It was the end of my time in Lebanon. So I really didn't register into the school. I just used to rock up. And then I didn't buy books and that. So one of the teachers said, oh, you know, I don't want you in my class if you haven't got books. I used to share my cousin's books. So school holidays come up. And in Lebanon, school holidays are three months, three months straight. So we're out and about playing in the streets. And... um, there was about eight of us playing on the road uh, between our houses. And one of the kids says, 
where we live on the coast, all the houses have flat roofs and everybody has cubby houses on there. They have their vine leaves like the grapes growing yeah. up there. Um, it's a real like uh, summer, you know, holiday feel to it. We're on the beach, mate. Yeah, yeah. Mediterranean sort of buildings. Exactly. Yeah, and um, so one of the kids says, oh, let's go play um, on the roof. Um, it was a house across the road from our place. Yeah. And um, so we all ran in there and it was last one in. So my cousin's a young girl. She was behind me. She's about two years younger than me. I let her go in front of me. As we're running through, we go upstairs, run upstairs. When we got through to the roof, there's a security door, full solid uh, steel door. It sits on a frame, on a steel frame. Um, it's so heavy, the door. It has to have the frame for it, support it. So what we, in the past, every time a kid ran through that door, because of the weight of it, 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 you push it and it comes springing back at you. It's almost like it had a spring, but it didn't. I know the kind of door you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. it's so heavy that they come back and close. Yeah. So whenever any kid ran through that roof, they'd have their arms out in front of them to push the door. So when it got to my turn, I seen my, I seen a couple of people go through and I'm waiting for the store to come back. I, I thought, oh no, it's gonna hit my cousin, little girl, but it didn't. And then I'm going 100%, it's gonna come back and hit me now. So I've got my arms out nothing happens the door stays open completely open like magnet some magnetic forces opened it man i get on the roof and all my cousins all my friends have taken two three steps on the roof and just frozen like mannequins and i'm thinking oh that's the game i'm in so i walk around and i start trying to tickle them i'm chick tickling my cousins no reaction i wanted to see crow's feet i want to see their eyes move. you cannot you cannot stand there and pretend you're a statue and someone walks up to tickle you and not make a move. Yeah, they were, you would, kid. mate, they were, they were just plastic, nothing. Anyway, I walked up to this kid, George, he was about two years older than us, George Fadros, his name is. I walk up and I went to tickle him under the throat. And as I look up, sorry, I went to tickle him under the throat. And as I look up, I fucking see a VW-shaped sized object, but it was an egg shape about 20, 25 meters above us. I could see this white, it was white, uh, the pointed end at the top, the rounded end at the bottom, and then the windscreen, which was almost like an oval oval shape, um, was just dark, dark, it was like a TV screen, say. Yeah. But I could see two figures inside, and they weren't sitting like our pilots sit in a, in a helicopter where they're sitting and they're level. These guys were like, their legs are down and they were seated in this in the shape. Imagine putting an egg on a slightly angle, a slight angle, like a maybe 60 degree angle and they're sitting and I could see the way they're angling. Like they're not sitting like that. They're for, more forward, their legs are spread out. Two of them are sitting there. I could see just a silhouette, but I could see that they were looking in exactly in our direction. Yeah. And I'm looking up at this thing and I'm thinking, there's two people in that. It's got no heli... I, we used to see helicopters every day. Israeli helicopters would fly just above our roof. Mate, we could, we could see the smallest bolt on the helicopter. It's yeah. that low. And they used to throw propaganda, all these different colored uh, paper. We as kids did not care about the message. We just cared about the color of the paper. So we'd run around and collect every color paper that there was, you know. And as kids, you love doing that. Yeah. So I I was very aware what you, um what a helicopter looked like and at a close range too. This wasn't no helicopter. This had no propeller. She had no landing gear. Nothing. It was just an egg shaped object. Beautifully looking thing. And um, 
I'm looking at this thing and then bang, next second, we're all downstairs on the ground floor. Three or four of us standing up, two or three sitting down and we're actually saying to each other, we were on the roof. How did we get here? That's as kids, we're like, yeah, we were just on the roof. How the hell did we get here? What are we doing here? And then we hear our parents calling out to us. So we're like, yeah, yeah, we're here. We stick out out the, out the door. It's a ground floor. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're here. Three of our parents come in. There was about eight kids. Three of the parents come in. They're like, where have you been? My mum was one of them, of course, and she had the rubber shoe with her. She had, a, she had, the, she had the slippers ready to go, mate. Fucking. Anyway, they're like, where have you been? And we're like, we're up on the roof, mate. Whack. Each one of us got a smack, whether it was your son or not, your kid or not, yeah, you smack them. Yeah. Well, you're lying, bang. Parents like, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. it was yeah. community. Yeah. You know? yeah, the community looked after the kids. And it's like, where have you been? We don't want you to lie to us. We're really concerned. There was a guy in the town, an older guy who was a bit of a pedophile, they reckon, and used to have a whole bunch of keys, and they reckon he used to break into houses and abuse kids. And, that, yeah. and they're like, were you at that house? We're like, no, no, we were up on the roof, mate. Yeah. Bang, get another smack. Were you at that house? Yeah. No, we were up on the roof. All right, they split us up. We all got grounded for a couple of days. Couldn't play outside and that. And um, we never talked about it, though. Like, the parents never said, where did you go? Where were you? No one. Maronite Christian, mate, that's the last thing you're going to discuss. To them, it's probably evil thing, you know? So anyway, I, I remembered that, always remembered it, but I never discussed it with anybody whatsoever at all. Yeah. And um, I would have been six years old at the time. Yeah. And um, then we migrate, migrated out here. And um, when they were researching the book and um, they went to speak to my parents, um, Bill Chalker actually did a couple of hours of investigating there. He spoke to my brother and my brother said to him, in 1988 when Peter had his experience, he goes, I was sitting in the lounge. He's the one that told me to leave come out of my room and he went and sat in my um sat in where i was sitting watching tv and he said i saw my brother come out of that room and he was floating levitating being taken out with a couple of creatures around him he called them creatures and he said and i was so scared because i thought my brother will never come back that's it i've lost my brother yeah. and um he goes it really upset me that i couldn't get up to help anyway my mum walks in the room she goes what do you are you talking about what Peter's happening? He goes, yeah. And my mum goes, oh, when we were younger, we used to always see flying plates and they call them flying plates. And she said, but our parents used to always tell us, oh, they're Israeli helicopters or Israeli spy planes. Don't worry about it. And then she said, but there's one, one specific experience that I'll never forget. And it's the one I explained before, the alien at the window at three o'clock yeah. in the morning. Now, what she said was, She's breastfeeding me. She sees at 3 o'clock in the morning, she sees an alien, well, a person looking through the window. Then she takes a second look and she realizes it's not a Middle Eastern person. This person had white hair, albino basically. Yeah. White hair, white skin, milky white skin, big eyes, big blackish eyes. Um, she said he looked very attractive in the features and had a black turtleneck. Um, and she said, what woman in 1964 wouldn't freak out seeing a man watching her breastfeed. Yeah. She said, but he was not watching me breastfeed. He was watching my son. He was looking at Peter, not at me. Yeah. Wasn't perving. She said, I would have been petrified seeing a man at my window at three o'clock in the morning. She said, but I fell asleep. I was not 
not um, uh, upset or agitated. Yeah. So I was totally calm and I fell asleep. Now, my uncle is a security guard in the town. It was like a copper almost. Yeah. That's their security there a bit more than what we do here. And um, she spoke to him and said, look, we live on, on the coast, on the, on the water. So yeah. there's two ports. We've got two cement factories in the town, yeah. white cement and dark cement. She said, look, please, can you see if any ships have docked at the cement factories? Yeah. And if it's Westerners, are there any blonde people with white hair and that walking yeah, around? Yeah, any I Scandinavians know. or something. Mate, right? yeah, 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 you know, Swiss, whatever. And, we, and who, my dad's boss was Swiss. Yeah. So we'd seen blonde, tall, blonde guy, you know, like his missus was tall, blonde as well. Yeah. But no, nah, my mum knew this was different. This was white, you know, milky white. My uncle checked everywhere, couldn't find anything. So for her not to ever, 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 ever in my life say anything to me about it, she never, ever said, oh, you wouldn't believe one day I was breastfeeding you and I saw this man or creature. At the, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, yeah. But it had to come some years later. Now, silly me, instead of sitting mum down, like I know Bill recorded it, audio, mate, I should have sat my mum down in front of a camera and got her to talk about that. Yeah. My mum's got dementia now. Oh. So forget getting yeah. anything out of her now but at least you got that one story well like, at least we got that and and it's yeah. documented and i'm sure bill either took the notes or recorded it so there would be something but you know to hear my mum say that validates my experience from when i was 22 days old that something was happening to me then yeah. i wish i had her words on tape you know yeah. on video it would have made a big difference it would have made well you know yeah but i'm reporting what she reported so it's not like um, I'm changing anything. I'm just reporting yeah, word for it. word. Yeah. But look, over the years, what I've done, I've, I've got into the conferences and um, I started organizing conferences around the country. And for about 15 years, we had the monopoly on UFO conferences. Like other groups just couldn't compete. Yeah. And um, we brought out some really, for me, it wasn't about having a monthly meeting where I charge you $10, $15 at the door and you come and sit down and I go, okay, in 1967, there was a, a light that was witnessed in uh, Katoomba and it lasted two seconds and then the guy went, I don't do that. Yeah. I, will, I will wait six months, but if I can get a decent speaker or two from overseas or someone here that has something to offer, bang, I'll Your put on the meeting. Proper information. That's like, what I want. Yeah, I want people well, to hear what other researchers are doing. I want to yeah. show videos that are groundbreaking. I want and that's what we were doing and we were achieving so much. And I used to fund it out of my pocket because I worked for myself at the time and you know, I could do it and then I'd get my money back, it was easy. And you know, it was something that I really enjoyed and um, I, I knew the top people in the field and had them over as guests. And, and they used to all tell each other, if you want to go to Australia, go and see Peter Curry. He's one of the best hosts you'll get. Well, like I said to you, man, we can still do that for you. you know, yeah. I'll be happy to help you do... You know, like, look, take this forum right here, like me doing podcasting. I wanted to get you on because you have the most incredible story. Like, I cannot emphasize from the moment I met you, like, just knowing your work ethic to to you telling me your story and now to this moment of me doing this, it's it's because there is, I, I can see it now, like in media, like you go onto Netflix, they got the Bob Lazar stuff 
um, Joe yeah. Rogan's all over it. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd, like, really promoting the shit out of it, especially Tom DeLong. Vodka. Tom DeLong yeah. is big into it now. He's supporting that unidentified program. And yeah, heaps of, like, docos about yeah. it. Heaps of, like, magazines. It's just well, everywhere. Well, the New York Times has just broken two stories. It was a two-part story about the Tic Tac UFOs, yeah, the, which is the and that was And he went Air on Force. Joe Rogan, the, 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 the guy. The, well, the, pi- the pilot actually has gone public. Yeah. One of the pilots yeah. gone public. It's a big breaking story now. Um, look, I think things are starting to happen, and I think a lot of the people out there are starting to be... Uh, look, 20, 30 years ago when I spoke... When I spoke at conferences, I used to have Islamic preachers, like imams and that. I used to have priests. I used to have all different types of people. And I had a, I had a, um, I had a Muslim guy come up to me once and he said, he goes, Peter, I've got so much respect for you. He goes, do you know you're like a prophet from the biblical days? He goes, they're the people that had the visions, that had the experiences and they would talk about them. He goes, but now people don't think like that. You know, he goes... Yeah, thinking outside of the box of the... Yeah, the text, and he goes, look, my religion, religion... He goes, yeah. my religion has always... All religions basically have said, we're the only things in the universe. There's no one else. God created man. That's what religion was based on. God created us here. We're so special. There's nothing. Look at this whole universe and we're the only living creatures yeah. on the universe. Well, now they've... It's, it's they've admitted. Well, they've admitted now that there are millions and billions of planets out there. We're finding bloody 20 planets every week yeah. that can support life. Heaps. And what the Quran now, what the Islamic um, public view on this is, this is exactly what I heard one of them say. God created all things in the universe, and if God wills it, they will one day meet. Yeah. So that to me says, we're no longer the only things in the universe. There are others and oh, one day if God wants us, we will meet. Well, no, we've already met. I think it doesn't, like, religion aside, like, you don't, just objective thinking, and it's also like, it's a, the human ego, you know, we're the only ones. You know, you got to put that, like, look at it like, if we can't be the only life in this universe. No. I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, like, I've, I've heard the theories, like, you know, um, like, that you know, why would a, 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 high, high, a very advanced civilization come to Earth? I mean, we're still technically like apes, yeah. You know, but it's like, well, okay, they come here, they're probably looking at us, and they go, "Fuck, these people are violent. They're killing each other." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. haven't reached that level of enlightenment yeah. in our society. I mean, it's probably yeah. it'll probably take a thousand, ten thousand years to hit that level. Yeah. But you know, the fact that like, if if like if this is all real, like if if things are visiting us, and I'm not, yeah. as I said, if it doesn't, if it hasn't happened to me yet, I don't know. But hearing you talk about it gives me that sense of not skeptic, like not not being a skeptic. It gives me that thing of um, I believe you. Like you're a credible person to me. Everything you've told Mate, me what, has what been the gain, truth. What gain have I? What do I get out of making a story like that? Exactly. Like, and you're doing this like right now. You're putting your story again out there, like. I mean, you've been doing it for 30 years. Like, you've... And you were, like, telling me before, like, you know, you've done it for, like... You, you're not done it for the cash gains. You've done it because there, there is something... It's an educational that, thing for me. Right. I want people to hear my... Look, when I went public with this, I, I, 
this is probably you know beating my own drum but I was the first Australian to go public with an abduction experience. Yeah. But that's not beating your own. That's the truth. That's the truth. And like that's you know that's, why I did that? Facts. You know why I did that? The only simple reason I did it, I didn't care if anyone believed me. I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about any of that stuff. My thing was if I can reach people who have had similar experiences to me and they can, like me listening to that radio um, interview of, uh, about uh, Whitley Strieber, yeah. and he's talking about similar stuff, and I'm thinking, that's my story. When I'm talking, and people out there all around the world from different cultures, different, even people in tribal, bloody, they've never got a TV, they haven't read a newspaper. Yeah. And when I hear... All the way in China. Mate, when these people contact me and say... As soon as I heard your story, I knew mine was real then because I'm having experiences like it. Yeah. They're the people I want to touch. So what most, like, you, you were brave enough. You've put yourself out there. They've been, as like, again, books, TV shows, um, you know, the vast array of media has come to you. You've told me before, like, when I said, oh, can you be on my podcast? And you're like, yeah, I've been on like a few already. It's like, oh <laughs> shit. Like, I thought I'd be the first to get you. Yeah, no, I've done a couple on right for <laughs> you know, like, I was like straight away, I'm like, this is because there's a resurgence. You mm. you have the, the the story. You have the stones to come forward. Look, there's definitely a big interest coming up now. Yeah. A, a lot of the new generation and that, they're just like, it's to them, they're like, oh yeah, UFOs. Yeah, of course they exist. You but, know? The, but it's a, there might be the, this like look I'm I'm just pushing 30 so so for me I grew up with my my, my dad was one of those guys old school kind of gentleman you know yeah. like, it doesn't exist yeah where my mum was like you don't know well look Bill my Clinton recently said that. Bill Clinton recently said anybody who is now in their 30s will in their lifetime 100% know that aliens exist will see them yeah. That's what Bill Clinton said in in Japan in 1995. He said people in their 30s will see it in their lifetime. I and I, I reckon I reckon we're like maybe. Well, look, I've said that 30 years ago, but I like to think now with <laughs> with the disclosure program that's going on, and they're pushing a lot of. There's a lot of credible people, mate, yeah. that are jumping on board. Like, like I mean, for me, what kind of hit me was watching Netflix and like I came across the Bob Lazar story mm. and I'd heard of the name Bob Lazar before on a documentary like I, I tried know, to bring him out here actually but it was, was far far too expensive even his agent wanted $2,000 just yeah. his agent's fee yeah I would love to bring Bob Lazar here. look one day when I if I've got the money he's one person I'd love to bring out here yeah. and Travis Walton is another I've met Travis he's been out here but uh, yeah, they're two people with great, great cases, and I would love to have them come out here just, just to share their. You know, Bob Lazar, very interesting case. Um, he just worked on UFO. Look, he worked at Area 51, and he's got proof. He can tell you which door to go into that gets you to which hall, and he, yeah, he's been like there. He was he's worked there. About like this thing that they built, like the bone. Death. I was listening to him on Joe Rogan, and yeah. you know, like. As well, like you hear his story, and he sounds like even the doco, like you know, he he, he comes off as a very um, he's he's a scientist. That's yeah, yeah, he yeah. He's, he's a good he's a and he's a smart. He's a good talker. But you know what they did to him? They tried to make out like the school he went to. 
He yeah. never went there. No, but there's newspaper articles about. Well, no, it was a school yearbook. Yeah, the school yearbook. Um, George was... uh, George Knapp, who's a investigative journalist, yeah. went to the school and he actually asked the principal. He said, "Oh, you had a student that came to this school, Bob Lazar." And he goes, "No, no, there was no Bob Lazar at this school." Yeah. And he goes, "Are you sure?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm a hundred percent." So he brings out that he's had a book with him, the yearbook, yeah, yearbook. and he goes, can you explain this to me? Yeah. And the, the guy on camera, on camera in an interview, the guy, the, the principal, he goes, look, we had government um, CIA come in here and they said, you're not allowed to talk about him. You cannot even mention that he came to this school. Yeah. He doesn't exist. Was, they went uh, to the hospital where he was born and they took all his birth certificates and that. They wanted to make him a no person. Yeah, like you he don't exist. Be, yeah. And no, the, the best thing, I think, was when the, they tried to say that he wasn't a teacher at, oh, I can't remember the name now, and there it was written in a newspaper article, he was the only teacher with like a, <laughs> no, they, with a Honda, with a rocket engine, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, 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 exactly. They <laughs> like, tried to make him look that? like a no person and yeah. discredit him and that, and when they go hard like that on someone... Like Snowden, for example, yeah. you know those guys have got proper information, but real Snowden stuff. Snowden has said there is nothing. He went through the records and he UFO yeah, stuff. He no, actually, he's he had he, million percent. No, he said he actually was again uh, quoting Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, I don't he know. He said I've, he goes. He looked through. He there's no mention of anything to do with UFOs. Well, I've heard where he says there is, and he's got the evidence. Oh, no, he, he said it clear as day on Joe Rogan. Really? Yeah. Is that really? No, I've heard where he says, yeah, there is. No. He sort of yeah. went against the... But again, like you... I've seen a whole documentary about him where he's hiding in a hotel room and then goes to a safe house and it's all encrypted computer messages and all that. Yeah. And he actually says, mentions like, the alien and, DNA and UFO stuff and that. he, like, I mean, he even said it too, like he goes... Maybe it was something he doesn't have access to. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. It's one of those things you just don't know, like how deep. I mean, to talk conspiracy theories. I think I would. I'm going to remind you of this because this was you're you're a good guy when it comes to conspiracy theories too, and I know this because you talked to me about once one once about the train line in the U.S. that was shipping the U.N. Armaments, the, the, East Coast to West Coast. Yeah, yeah. And you go, Eric, I know why they're doing this. They're doing it because they're, they're scared that there's going to be a, like civil, massive civil unrest and possibly uprising in the US. And they can't use US troops. They have to use the UN. And who runs the UN? It's the US government. I remember you telling me yeah, all this. Yeah. And I, went, I remember that moment when you started talking to me about conspiracy theories. I'm, like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. I went... All right, Peter, whatever. A week later, it was in yeah. the news. That's what they were planning to do. There you I go. remember I freaked the fuck out. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Peter is right. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. This like those There was those moments when I had doubt about you. Yeah. But when you tell me something, it's like, you know what? Yes, I'm a little bit, how you going? But I know you're not bullshitting me. Nah, look, there's, <laughs> I, I don't expect everyone to... to to believe everything I say and take it as gospel, but research it. That's it. Just research, research it. Look it. Just up. have a look and look it up, and and don't look up one snippet like a, 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 a two lines. Do the research. Only yesterday I got something sent to me, and it was about uh, the um, uh, geoengineering yeah. and um, the chemtrails and all that. And I spent an hour looking at this stuff. I was blown away. You've got to listen to a, uh, a lady. Her name is Kristen Megan. 
Oh my God, mate. She presents it from the heart, yeah. passionate, and she apologizes for her passion. She yeah. goes, I'm so passionate about it that it does come out. You can tell that I'm stressed yeah. about it and that. They tried to destroy her. She's lost so many jobs. Um, they tried to say that she was like mental. She goes, I was nine years I served in the Air Force. As soon as I started finding things and questioning, they move her. Then the guy threatened to put her through well, a mental institution. And the only thing I know roughly about chemtrail, like, I mean, I had an ex-girlfriend. She was all up about this chemtrail business. And I did my own, like, like I was curious. Like, you know, when you're with a girl, like, yeah, okay, I'll look into it too. Why not, right? Mm. And the only thing I can find, like, that I, I believe more than anything was that they, were, they pump out um, was it aluminium. Yeah, yeah, the aluminum. Uh, that's what yeah, I was looking at yesterday. All the stuff they listed. Like weather, like they they actually listed the whole, every, every compound that they use. Yeah. And what it is, they're trying to put a shield around the planet, which is making it all muggy. Yeah. We don't have full sunny days. They reckon in America it's impacted. But now they're doing it all around the world because they want to help their allies. But they reckon it's just killing everything. Yeah. It's not just about, they show, the pilots that do this, one of them said, they show them a video of, these new technologies that they can fire in and destroy America, basically. Mm. And they said, unless they have these things in place to stop them, it's a shield. It's like a protective shield. Yeah. But at the same time, I think they're trying to um, cool the planet. Yeah. It's uh, that they're putting all this, but it's causing so much crap. It's killing people. It's yeah, look, you know, uh, that's something I'm like, nah, I don't know anything about that sort of. Yeah. Business, you know? like, look, this is this is my my answer to that. We've got better engines, better technology, better fuel, cleaner fuel. Why are we seeing planes with massive grids? I'm talking grids, squares of grids of chemtrails everywhere, crisscrossing each other to cover the sky. Come on. Yeah, look. Um, you know, you get um, a plane fly, okay, it leaves a contrail. Yeah, that's yeah. not a problem. But when you've got a plane that's crisscrossing and causing a grid like a chessboard, yeah. There's got to be something to that. Why would you fly that pattern? Why do you need them to be, Yeah, you know? Well, I, I get, and I, I get that, like, again, like, yeah, that in itself, in the conspiracy theory, like, realm, I, I get the, you know, why are they doing it? And I understand that, but I'm nowhere near as well-versed in that sort She of talks stuff. about G Agenda 21 and... You know, knocking down the population, and they reckon a lot of it is um, acidic, and um, it seeps into the ground. And it's yeah. like we got naturally happening, but this is twenty-five times more acidic than what nature produces. Yeah. And they're saying it's going to end up sterilizing people and killing people. It's all about controlling the population, mate. Yeah. If they could sterilize, well, like the, the the theory. I mean, like this is a strange one that I heard. I actually, when I look at it now, mm. I believe it in a sense. Where they put most housing commission areas near um, the electrical. Yeah, 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 because yeah. Because what yeah. it does, it, it, it controls them. It, 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 it sterilizes. Shit, mind oh, control. Right. It's yeah, more mind it, control. It sterilizes too. It sterilizes. Yeah, I've and heard that's that. And I'm like, when you look at where housing commission areas, like yeah, particularly yeah, like yeah, out yeah, west, yeah, like where, I, where yeah. I'm at, you go, yeah, I and can see And all that. these vaccines and all the shit. But in then the at the same it. time, I try to understand how a woman who's in housing commission has several different kids to. You know, father, like, right. you know, yeah. 13 different men. So yeah, I'm trying yeah, to work yeah, that yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true, true. But um, look, I, 
honestly, yeah, I'm, anybody who thinks their government is honest with them is no, is, there's is, no is such crazy. There's, no, they can't, no. they, and they, they don't want you to know. They, as far as the government's concerned, the more educated you are and the more information you have, the more of a threat you are. Yeah. The more dumbed out you are and the less you questions you ask is how they operate. And that's why they're putting all this shit in the, in the atmosphere to dumb us out, you know, get us to be dumbed out a bit, not be able to question what, things. What I, for me, it's uh, like, you know, outside of the whole, it's the... Um, Look, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of cases I should mention that I think anybody who's interested in this topic or some will probably know about these and anyone who's new into it and wants to research a couple of really good cases. There's Travis Walton case, which is the movie Fire in the Sky. Um, then you've got the Kegsberg case where an acorn-shaped object uh, landed. Yep. The military took it on, a, on flatbed trucks and that. There's a lot of multi, uh, many, many witnesses, local witnesses. You've got, um, there's a, a really good Australian case in Melbourne. Um, it happened in the Dandenongs. Uh, three different witnesses, groups of witnesses. Um, there's my case, obviously. Um, you've got the Linda Napoltini case, which happened on the Brooklyn Bridge. Yep. You know, there was, I'll just quickly run through this. Um, she lived on the 12th um, story of a building. Yeah. She was abducted from the 12th story. People saw her being levitated into a ship, like standing, as you see in a movie, yeah. in the posters and that. She's taken up, she's in a 90, and a 90 was see-through. So because of the lighting around her and that, you could see all her body. Every car on the Brooklyn Bridge, her building was next to the Brooklyn Bridge. I've heard about this one. Mate, every yeah. car on the Brooklyn Bridge, their motor stopped. Yeah. Everyone got out of their cars and they were looking at this UFO with this lady getting beamed up into it and they thought it was a movie. Yeah. They thought no, it was I on a crane. This. They thought UFO was on a crane and yeah. it's all a movie and she's been suspended by a string and all that. Now... The person who was involved in that case was the United Nations president at the time. Yes, it was Perez that's the one I heard. Perez de Cuellar. I've heard about this one. Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Perez de Cuellar. For some reason, for some reason, Perez de Cuellar had a thing about her son. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying maybe that he's the real dad, but through alien manipula manipulation and artificial insemination or something. But that's just congestion. But... Yeah, he actually bought that kid a diving helmet. Diving helmets are worth five, six, ten grand. Yeah. You know, a proper diving helmet. I don't know why. Maybe the kid seen. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But he went and bought him as a gift. Who gives a kid, you know, a diving helmet as a present? Like kids want things they can play with and that. But so it was interesting. And what happened was. Him and his two bodyguards were told to be under the Brooklyn Bridge for at one time. Yeah. And they witnessed her abduction. That's why he got involved. But then they did it for his own benefit. The aliens basically set up a show for him. And they went into they, they were in the water in Brooklyn Bridge and the Brooklyn River and then they took out took off and he said he could see the water falling down from it yeah. from the UFO as it took off. It affected his two bodyguards so much that one of they ended up abducting Linda Napoltini and took her away to a beach um, shack. Yeah. They thought she was working with the aliens and then they realised one of them was really hard against her, the other one was a bit cool. What was their names? Um, 
Oh, I can't oh, think. One of them was Greg, I think, or something. But um, yeah, anyway, apparently um, they gave her a bit of a hard time and she tried to escape from him and things like that. Really weird and interesting story. But there's so much out there, honestly. But um, there are a couple of host cases. Uh, we investigated one. Um, there's people on the internet that still write it up as, oh, I wanna, it's a really good case. And it's apparently about in Mackay in Queensland, some people... Uh, a, a couple and a friend of theirs um, the lady apparently got abducted and within minutes she was in she was like 10 hours away from where she was supposed to be yeah. but then we went did the investigation and Bill another researcher went in there and they found hair dye in the bin because one of them was blonde one of them was black hair um, so the blonde one the girlfriend took off and then the other one dyed her hair blonde and sat in the car but sat low so no one could see her face in that just yeah. her hair drove around the town so everyone in the town goes oh yeah we saw him at three o'clock they were driving yeah, and she was in the car she really wasn't she wasn't yeah. and um as as bill and the other research investigator were trying to get to them they they'd ring them up and go we're in say kempsey okay we'll, we'll meet you up there they'd go there and they'd go oh no no we had people following us so we went we're now in Mackay. so you go, they were chasing them all over queensland yeah. and it was it was a fraudulent thing yeah. but maybe something did happen and then they exaggerated it and played out a big i don't know but people have to just do the research and then judge for themselves what they think is real and what's not so look man i've been doing this for a while and i'm thinking i want to know i'm sure people want to know if they want to find a book that's specific about you uh maybe your website facebook yeah you know, just let's just give a let's put out the internet. Well, there's button, there's Bill Chalker's um, book Hair of the Alien. Yeah. That's basically about my case, and then it talk, mentions a couple of other cases, and it's got an extensive um, section at the back about the DNA uh, process, the testing, and all that, yeah. which can be a bit boring for you know normal readers, but book anybody or whole stories in that book. Yeah, anybody who's into the science side of it will find it fascinating reading yeah um there's the os files which my story is also in there that's um uh, my website is uh, ufoesa.com um there's also um i mean there, there's internet stuff they can look at yeah. um don't don't take every bit whatever you look at the internet take it with a grain of salt because I reckon about 10% of the information on the internet is interesting and the rest is uh, a bit hokey pokey, you know. But we'll look at getting you started on maybe a YouTube or even maybe your own podcast. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing too. a YouTube channel. I've got enough information to keep it going. Yeah. But um, look, I'm just about giving the information and decimating information and sharing it with people. Oh, just share my that. story and if the amount of time I've had people come up to me and say I heard your story and it, you know and now I speak about mine yeah. that's what that's what it's all about I for me I hope this reaches those kind of people as well I hope it does I hope it does I mean I don't have many listeners at the moment but you know hopefully putting this out like that will get people yeah, I'll be able to look you up to yeah, yeah yeah look I'm happy to talk to people I get a lot of people want to do sky watchers and they want me to come along and I'm happy to do all of that, um, given time, because obviously yeah. we all got to work and pay our bills. Of course. But um, yeah, I'm happy if anybody wants to give me a call and have a chat. You know, I've got all the time in the world to speak to people, and just um, to me, it's all about opening yeah. people's perception and 
you know, giving them something credible that they can look at, which will trigger their interest. Yeah. But if you give them something that's not solid, people will lose interest quick smart, you know. Yeah. But I just want people to stop going for a 30, you know, 20 words or 30 second snippet of something to get the whole story. Yeah. We need to really read. And I spent an hour yesterday reading about this geoengineering and um, then I watched the video and, that, and it blew my mind, yeah. you know, it really did. And that's what you've got to do. We've got to, this, we've got to get... This is like, a, well, what we're going into. We're going into two and a quarter hours podcast. So, I mean, to hear, for somebody to hear your story now, mm. they're going to get the m- massive chunk. Yeah, you know? yeah. And to yeah. get the further details, they're going to go into you. They're going to read your book. They're going to read, they're going to... And, man, look, I'm telling you, as, a, as that kind of guy... Get your Instagram, get your YouTube started. I'll help you. Yeah. If you need it, you let me know when and where. We'll I need to it. have a forum where I can do that. Yeah. Um, you know, the websites are getting a bit old now. I just need to revamp Lots it. Lots update, man. We'll, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to help you out with that. You I appreciate that, man. it, mate. But it's it was good doing this anyway. I, I appreciate the um, opportunity to, you know, get my story out there. That's it, my man. Well, thank you all for listening. Hope you all enjoyed it. Peter, give a shout out. I, I just basically would like to mention one person who had a major, major impact on my life, and especially in this field, and that was Professor John E. Mack, who was a Harvard psychiatrist. He founded the psychiatry department in 1966. Um, he came out in um, 1996 and investigated my case, and he was so impressed that he appointed me the Australian representative for PEER, which is Program for Extraordinary Experience Research, based at Harvard. Um, unfortunately, Uh, 2005 he was hit by a drunk driver on a pedestrian crossing in England and was killed instantly which was a great loss but um, that's someone if you want to get a credible uh, look into the field he's written a book called um, abductions human encounters of aliens and also um, passport to the cosmos Um, and he's written a book on Lawrence of Arabia that was the first book he wrote which won a Pulitzer Prize He's the type of guy that I think if you look at his research, you'll base yourself in really good grounds. Beautiful. Magic, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate.